<laughs> Hello, this is Craig Anderson, the writer, director and producer of Red Christmas. You're listening to a very special Christmas episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where they're dead serious about Christmas horror movies. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Christmas and welcome to the Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 188, and it's our seventh annual Christmas Horror Movies episode. It's the most wonderful time of the year. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and the two little evil elves in my workshop are... Dave, Dr. Sharksbacker, from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh... Up in the frat house, click, click, click. What you guys do here is really sick. This will also be a versus episode where we'll trim the tree with discussions and reviews for all three Black Christmas movies. We're also going to have some stocking stuffer sized mini reviews for horror movie, a low budget nightmare. I trapped the devil and the night sitter. And we'll wrap things up with a bow as we share some Christmas present giveaways at the end of the episode. But before we get to all that, Wolfman has some important info to keep you off the naughty list this year. Yes, just to remind people, we are currently collecting your picks for your top 10 horror movies of 2019. We, on our very next episode, our first episode of January 2020, are going to be doing our top 10 horror movies of 2019. We'll give each of our hosts lists and then a combined listener list. And if you want your list to be part of that listener list, what you should do is go to horrormoviepodcast.com, look in the posts. It will be the third post down at this point if you're listening to this episode, and it will give you detailed instructions on how to submit your list. You do need to do that before the end of 2019. If it comes in in the year 2020, it's probably not going to make it on the show. So that's just a fair warning. Um, We have had already several submissions and a lot of questions. So in kind of the spirit of frequently asked questions, you can see what some other people have asked in the comments. If you have any questions about how to submit your show, we also got a note that was on episode 187 where we announced that Joel. Okay. We got a note from Shane, the maniac cop. Uh-huh. And he told us 187 is actually the police code for murder in California. But it, because of that, it is used in many movies mm. that are supposed to take place in other locations. Gotcha. So I, that, I, I have been schooled in the code for murder <laughs> because I just assumed Samuel Jackson would not lead me astray 
and that uh, right. I, I that it was well, uniform across well, the states is what I assume. I mean, that's the thing. It's you know, you make those movies in California, and you ask what the police code is and you know that's, that makes sense. that's how these things happen so that's true uh, yeah shane said that's a major pet peeve of his when he watches movies <laughs> it's supposed to be in massachusetts or something and people are, <laughs> or, are using or that. when goofy hosts <laughs> they decide to throw it out there <laughs> as if they know what they're talking about <laughs> kind of like that too it's probably annoying yeah okay yeah. we are doing a christmas horror episode this is my first official christmas horror episode here on HMP. I am very thankful to you guys because I'm always looking for an excuse to cover movies that I've already talked about on my own show. In, in the, in, <laughs> and obviously, a lot of those we're not going to do here on HMP because they're not horror. But this one and The Stepfather would be a really <laughs> good example of movies that probably on a bi-monthly basis, I will throw out to my co-host on Retro Movie Geek that I just want to just cover again, you know just cause and they usually <laughs> shoot me down but uh, i am very thankful to both of you though for being willing to do this uh black christmas hands down is obviously one of my favorite horror movies of all time but it's certainly my favorite christmas horror movie of all time i don't think you know i, I realize <laughs> i might be uh being a little spoilery on my potential review here coming up but i'm just gonna lay it out there okay well and, it makes how many christmas horror movies are in your top 10 it makes sense yes I'm, that is right. that does make a lot of sense and i will say though it's interesting just going through the list of of christmas horror because i'm actually a fan i love christmas and i love the look and the feel but i love the juxtaposition of really messed up stuff happening <laughs> against <laughs> yeah. the backdrop of Christmas. I mean, it's, it's nice because it opens up the possibilities of watching more than just the Rankin Bass animated yes. specials and, I love and those the, too. the family films. I do too. Yeah, I, lo I love them just as much, but I, it, it gives you more possibilities. You can, you can throw a black Christmas in there and uh, you know, gremlins, right? Gremlins. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're coming up on a good top 10. Like, I think we could do a top 10 best Christmas horror movies pretty soon. I feel like there are more than a half dozen quality Christmas horror films at this point. So I'm I'm excited for the future. Well, it's funny yep. because looking through the list, there's a shockingly large amount of these I've never seen. And I will say this. A lot of these are newer movies like post 2000 so it's interesting to me how few at least on the list that i'm looking at currently i mean there are christmas horror movies that came out pre-2000 i mean everything from jack frost and black christmas and i mean there were christmas evil and silent night deadly night most of the sequels but there but as it seems like for whatever reason in like the 20 teens there was this this I don't know what happened, but it's like the gloves were <laughs> off. And and I mean, right. I, I just grew up in a world where Cisco and Ebert lambasted the creators of Silent Night, Deadly Night for being so disgusting as to make a movie where a guy, not Santa, but a guy in a Santa suit is a killer. It was the worst thing ever to them. <laughs> and yet, and yet we now live in a world where full on like Santa Claus <laughs> is the killer right right yeah yep. it's amazing well you know we've we've talked about this a lot on the show obviously we've done six previous episodes about christmas horror so we've done the theme discussion a lot not with you joel but that question does seem to pop up every year or two why do we like christmas horror movies so much what is it about the juxtaposition of the evil and the warmth of the holiday that works so well and i think that's just it i think it is that juxtaposition that makes it work so well i think you you put it rather well they pair very nicely nicely together and i just love 
the visuals of Christmas. Oh yeah. And so it's really fun to have all the fun horror elements thrown in there as well. I think I, I will say this and I, I know you lived in Denmark for a time, correct Wolfman? Okay. Uh, well, the Netherlands, okay, and the Netherlands. they speak Dutch, okay. and it's similar to the Danish in a way okay. that people get the mixed up. Oh, I, I, no, will, I, will say, okay, I will say this, uh, forgive me, because considering Peter is actually born from, born in Denmark and lives in Sweden, and I do that to him all the time, I refer to him as being Swedish. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, then, and then when he gives me static about it, I'm like, oh, come on, like there's a difference. But I, I really, I, I, I'm kidding. Of course there is. But uh, if you've ever heard of the idea of, and I know I'm going to mispronounce this, so I apologize, it, it's called Hugo. You ever heard oh, of yeah. Hugo? Okay. Yeah. That cozy, yeah. I guess yeah, the only way like you could say cozy, cozy comfort. Yeah. The cozy, yeah. warm, like by a fire, candlelight and all that. Drinking your hot chocolate with a nice blanket and yes, the fire crackling. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. and then throw a bloody axe in. And that's why I love Christmas horror. <laughs> That, yes. that is exactly why I love Christmas because that is why I love Black Christmas the original so much because to me that movie and, and it makes perfect sense right Bob Clark did went on to do a Christmas story 10 years later or less than 10 years later so yeah. and that movie has a similar right. look as well uh, he just he captured something in just the the cold and the lights and just the way everything looks and it looks like you would want to be in that house it's so cozy but you really don't want to be in that house. <laughs> so right. um, I, I love it. I, I honestly, I, I think that there, and like I said, there's a lot of them I haven't seen. So I'm actually excited because if we ever do a top 10 list and I'm, I won't say forced cause it makes it sound like I'm going to be doing it against my will, but I will be very excited to put together a list and have to run through a whole bunch of uh, Christmas horror movies. I have yet to see. Yeah. Well, again, we're on year seven. I think by the time we get to year 10, we'll definitely have enough for a top 10 because I know there's been at least one movie I've enjoyed every single year. Sure. So. Yeah. And there are some movies that I go back to, which is interesting. I, uh, this year, I watched two of the ones you mentioned, Josh, from the from the Krampus episode. Mm-hmm. I rewatched uh, A Christmas Horror Story and I re- rewatched Krampus and I enjoyed them more than I did initially. And so did it's, it's funny how they just sort of these things become part of the overall tradition. You know, Christmas yeah. is a very traditional time of year. And these movies, even if you, even if you didn't embrace them initially, you sort of eventually embrace them, I'm finding. Um, yeah. And I did watch Better Watch Out again. And I'm just, I, I really enjoy that, that this time of year, that first off, you know, I love that there's all these different movies we can now throw in for Christmas. It's not just 10 versions of A Christmas Carol. Uh, but... I also like how these films just become part of the tradition and and you just warm up to them even more so than than on the initial viewing. Yeah, I agree with you. I I came in kind of low on Krampus on the first uh, viewing when we reviewed it on the show and I revisited it the next year and liked it so much more. And now it's become a holiday tradition. I watch Krampus every year since it's come out. I have watched Better Watch Out multiple times now and every year since it's come out. And, you know, I think there are other films like that that are going to keep adding to my uh, annual list. Rare Exports is one that I used to watch every year, but it's kind of got bumped out because there's so many new good films. (laughs) Right. And I did watch Rare Exports also. And that's another that's another really strong uh, Christmas movie. movie. I really love that film. Yeah. Now, question. This is the important question. How many of you have made sure to get in Jack Frost to Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman? Uh, well, definitely, I got that one. In. Okay. No, you know, we we just watched. Uh, I watched Joe Bob Briggs' uh, Red Christmas, yes. and um, the first movie they did was 
Black Christmas. Perfect I was excited because I knew we were covering Perfect it. Perfect timing. Yeah, I thought, oh, I can steal some ideas here from, from Joe Bob. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then Jack Frost was the, the second film, and I thought, no, nah, I'm going to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come <laughs> on, Wolfman! Yeah, I made it back to the mar- I made it back to the marathon in time for Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. So. Uh, yeah, but I think it's hilarious it's is not, that you you would prefer Silent Night Deadly Night Two <laughs> to Jack Frost. Oh, for sure, <laughs> it's not even a question because Silent Night Deadly Night Two has some hilarious moments. Plus, most of it, like seventy five percent of it, is Silent Night Deadly Night One. <laughs> that's true. <it's> repackaged. <laughs> yes, that's true. Good point. <gasps> right. Yeah, I I think it's funny that. I and I, I want to lay this out. I, I this I guess still ties into our Christmas theme discussion, but it's now delving a little bit more into the versus aspect of this. I pretty sure I've made it well known that I had never seen the 2006 Black Christmas. And when I knew we were going to do this, I intentionally made sure I didn't see it because I wanted to hold it, you know, until we got to do this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the 2019 one comes out. And I think to myself, you know, what would be kind of a cool experiment is to watch all three movies in one day. I thought, wow. you know, because because two of them never obviously you never seen. And then one of them is one of my all time favorite movies. I intentionally saved the one that I love the most for the last <laughs> because I didn't think that was fair mm-hmm. because I think full disclosure, it, you, you know, for me, nostalgia and there, like there's like a very strong personal connection, which if we have time, I'm going to get into a little bit with the original Black Christmas that I can't it's like it's not even fair to say well that movie didn't isn't as good i'm not gonna go there because it's just that's hmm. dumb it's no point would you would you go so far as to call it a cinematic nostalgia disorder um i would except that black christmas is actually a good movie <laughs> okay <laughs> right. that's, that would be the big difference now look i and, get that black christmas isn't for everyone in fact i i ended up not doing them all on the same day i did uh the 2006 in the first part of the day i did do the 2019 uh, a couple hours later uh, actually technically i finished up 2006 in the theater as I was waiting for the 2019 and no, I'm not wow. one of those people, but it was like almost <laughs> empty at that point. And it was like the trailers hadn't even started or anything like that. So I was in, I was, there was no one around me. I, I wasn't being annoying, uh, but I had, I had my headphones on and I had like eight minutes left and I finished it. So uh, I went right from that. Fair to the creators of that film. Is that the ideal way to watch? It their- probably <laughs> wasn't. And I'm going to tell you what, it, it, as we get into each review, I have a, it's bizarre how I reacted to each of them after and before and then after having time to think about them and how things kind of did a pivot it's very weird oh. like it's hard to explain hmm. it's i've never had this happen it's just weird so um, but once i knew that joe bob was going to be on that night and i was thinking well yeah you know, the day wore on i was like well i mean obviously i love black christmas the original but i didn't know if i was gonna have time to see it. i was like well okay if i don't see it like today i can see it tomorrow it's not a big deal but then i found out joe bob was going to show it so i watched it on that that's cool so what was super cool to me is of course he does the joe bob thing where they cut in and he talks different trivia and factoids about the movie and about the halfway point or somewhere in there he brought up something that was on a very personal level this is totally a personal geeky thing for me that he mentioned that black christmas had been temporarily banned for lack of a better way of putting it now I had grown up with my parents telling me the two movies that scared them the most, especially my dad telling me this, but both my parents did. There's two movies that terrified them. This is when I'm a budding horror fan. Right? I haven't I've seen nothing major yet at this. I mean, I might even seen like Nightmare on Elm Street. I'd seen a few things at 11, 12 years old. But I remember being like around that age. I'm starting to really get into it. And them telling me there was two movies. One was Alien that just terrified them. But one side and the other, you know, the movie that I really stupidly said may or may not be horror at one point. 
since I've been on the show. Um, <laughs> uh, that one. And then the other one was this movie called Black Christmas. Now, at this point, and, and certainly within the few years after I, I hear this from my dad, I can't find that movie anywhere. I mean, it was hard to find. And so I, it was always built up in my head as this mythical thing that I had to find because he just told me it was terrifying. He said it wasn't really bloody. It wasn't that. It was just something about that movie just creeped him out so bad. And then he said on top of that, though, the reason why is because it had been banned in Florida because it came out around the time that Bundy killed the sorority sisters Ooh. at FSU. Now, here's what's here's the thing, though. As a little wow. kid, I didn't do the chronology in my head to go, wait a minute, that doesn't match up. Black Christmas came out in 74. Bundy did his thing in January of 1978. And as I grew up and I became more of this sullen teenager who thought he knew everything about everything and had all his little movie trivia worked out, I just was like, oh, my dad doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Obviously, that is not what happened. They didn't ban the movie, blah, blah, blah. And this is, the internet's around, but it's not enough of a thing to where you could really just go find anything you wanted. So I never bothered looking it up. I just always sort of discounted as like okay sure dad he's like no i'm telling you it was called a stranger in the house and it was banned is all he said like it was it was they they took it they would not play it i was like no that didn't happen dad because it's like a four-year window there well here's the, the other thing about this situation there are two true crime things that greatly affected and or shaped my childhood one was bundy and the other was adam walsh if you remember the Adam Walsh story that led to John Walsh and America's Most Wanted, it was a little boy, right. six years old, kidnapped. I guess it ended up being, um, at least the the theory is, uh, was Otis Toole, the guy who ran with Henry Lee Lucas, supposedly is the guy who killed the kid. Uh, oh, and boy. that story, because I remember being like six, I was like right around the same age as Adam. I think he may have been a hair older than me. And I remember seeing the newspaper, like when he disappeared. So it was this thing. And then when you found it, like how they found him and it just traumatized me. And then Bundy was traumatic because he had been caught. I, mean, I was only like two years old when he was caught, but knowing he was always this malevolent presence in Florida, like just in where I was and mm -hmm. my mom, mm -hmm. like looking at pictures of her in that time period, she was 100% his MO. Just her look, the long brown hair parted in them. I mean, she, you look at his victims, my mom yeah, would easily fit in there. Wow. And it always just the idea that he was in Florida we were in, you know what I'm saying? Like you start doing the math. She was not right. that much older than his victims and you start doing the math and you're like, you know, I, and I realize statistically the chances of it happening were nil. I get it. But as a kid, that screws with yeah. your head. <laughs> absolutely. That stays there. Yeah, it absolutely does. So all of that working together and then realizing this movie has some kind of weird connection to Bundy, right? It's like, what? Oh God, what? Uh, this is, you know, this is like, I, you know, can, can I see this movie? Is this movie going to destroy my mind? What's going to happen? Well, cut to, I finally see this thing. My first year of college, so it's late 94 and I found it on VHS at a video store and my friend, my best friend at the time and I were roommates and we watched this in the dark because I intentionally, I'm, I'm at that age, I'm like 18, you know, 19. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm tough. I can handle this. Turn on all the lights. You know, I've got my back to this long hallway. I'm in like a rocking chair and we're watching this on a big screen. I would say probably about the midway to three-fourths point, me and this other dude, and we're both pretty big guys, you know, six foot plus, 200 plus pounds, like cuddling up together <laughs> as we're so creeped out by Black Christmas. <laughs> and look, I know, and it's funny, Joe Bob's reaction to Black Christmas kind of surprised me because I didn't get the vibe that he was a huge fan. He, he I think, appreciates mm -hmm. it, but I don't think he really loves it. 
So, and I get it. I guess on, I get it. I get why in his reasoning without giving too much away about the movie, the fact that it's a mystery without a point in a way, they, they kind of don't ever give you any real solutions. And when that's not done well, which we may get into one of the movies that we're going to be reviewing at some point in this episode, uh, I felt had that problem. For some reason in Black Christmas, it's sort of like in Scream when a certain individual says it's much scarier when there isn't a motive and then they go on to give a motive. I I prefer right. <laughs> I prefer I prefer the lack of motive. I prefer the original shape idea. The idea of, for me personally, I find that so right. much more terrifying that there is no reason because if you right. can't, don't have reason you can't reason it away you can't justify you can't rationalize it and it it just it's maddening because then there's no stopping it yeah, that's where we part ways joel but i, I find it interesting because i've always thought about that quote from scream and like is that true is that really true and you know you know how people react to halloween and i i loved having the mythology of halloween too to kind of flesh out michael and i Wipe the Rob Zombie backstory. And I know that you loathe that <laughs> Rob Zombie backstory. So, uh, yeah, I'm really curious as we get into these films how you'll feel about backstory and exposition and things that we didn't get necessarily in the original film. Yeah, anyone who's ever listened to me rail against uh, the zombie movie probably is not, doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out <laughs> what my feelings are going to be. All right. <laughs> Well, we will get into that and more in our feature reviews as we move on into the show. We are going to do these three versions of Black Christmas. I also have many reviews of The Night Sitter, I Trap the Devil, Horror Movie, A Low Budget Nightmare, and a collector's crypt for Trapped Alive, a new release from Arrow Video. And when I say new release, I mean a movie from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you guys want to get into our... Uh screaming online segment for black christmas 1974 yeah welcome to our shutter sponsored screaming online segment which is happening a little bit earlier in the show than normal that is because our primary feature review for tonight is coming from shutter AMC Network's Shudder is a premium streaming video service where you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense films for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment on the internet. That's why the cool kids call it the Netflix for horror. Subscribers will have unlimited access to stream ad-free on Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon. Roku, Google Chromecast, and more. The very next episode of Horror Movie Podcast is going to be our top 10 movies of 2019 and so many of the films that we think you should check out for your list are streaming exclusively on Shudder. I'm talking about Tigers Are Not Afraid. I'm talking about One Cut of the Dead. Maybe The Furies. Maybe Bezelbuth. And of course the documentary Horror Noir that we featured earlier in the year. And because it's Christmas, make sure to check out the Unhappy Holidays collection on Shudder, where you can catch films like Silent Deadly Night Part 2, Christmas Evil, A Christmas Horror Story, the anthology film All the Creatures Were Stirring. We interviewed the directors of that film last year. One of the great Christmas horror movies of all time, a new classic from our friend Chris Peckover, Better Watch Out, and the original Home Alone horror film, 36.15 Code Pair Noel, also known as Game Over, 
and known on Shudder as Deadly Games. You do not want to miss that film. But most importantly for tonight's Versus discussion is the first feature review of the evening, Black Christmas from 1974. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. We are going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite horror movies, and that is Black Christmas from 1974. I finally got to see it around 94, uh, 20 years after it was released, and ever since, it has always been up there for me. And you would think, too, as my father built it up, as I mentioned in that previous segment, it really should have been a letdown, (laughs) you know, based on how mythical it had gotten in my head, and for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's just a combination of the sound design and the, the, the obscene phone calls and the fact that you have the caliber of actors you have in this movie mixed with that good old fashioned heap and helping of Canadian hug. I don't know what it is, but this movie does it for me. So the basic synopsis of Black Christmas from 1974, according to IMDb, is during their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. Yeah, I guess that that pretty much covers it. That's the 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 nut of the thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, you of course have a lot more going on than that. You have the lead Jess, played by the amazing Olivia Hussey, who prior to this probably I maybe I'm wrong on what she would have been best known for. So correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, for sure. But the Romeo and Juliet Franco Zeffirelli film, I feel like would have oh, been. That- that would be, I mean, I, yeah, I, I remember her from other things, but that would be her, her best known role without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, probably including Black Christmas. I think every American high school student probably yes. watches that movie at some right. point. Yes. Right. So, and then of course you have as her boyfriend, uh, Peter, you've got Kier Dulay. Is that, you pronounce it Dulay, right? It's not Dulea. I believe it's Dulay. And, yeah. and of course he's been in a ton, of, a ton of stuff, but 2001 A Space Odyssey, he was Dave in the 2001 Space yeah. Odyssey. So, right. I mean, but you got Margot Kidder. You've got John Saxon. You've got Andrea Martin, who will come up a little bit later as well. You know, you've right. got Art Hindle, uh, which Invasion mm-hmm. of the Body Snatchers, 78. Josh uh, was in that as well. And it's just, it's this amazing cast of people that I think really takes what could have been a movie that would have probably not been as well remembered. I think over the long haul, had it not, it has this, for lack of a better way of putting it, like a classiness that sort of, in my mind, makes it sort of go a little bit above a lot of other films that might have been forgotten from the 70s. I just think that mm. when you when you throw this group of people who almost on paper should never have been in, in a quote unquote movie like this, you know, that it, it I think does yep. something for it. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it took me a long time to warm up to this film. I, you know, it's a classic. You know, I and I revered as such. It wasn't until very recently that I really kind of f- fully appreciated it. I think, though, you know, I think 
I, I think I had the opposite of a classy reaction to it. I think those obscene phone calls are so weird and disturbing. Oh yeah. And just kind of gross. Yes. And I think some of the kills, one kill in particular, the most famous kill in the film because it's on the poster, um, was just so nasty looking. And uh-huh. like I just remember seeing that box art and being like, ew. What is this movie that looks so <laughs> gross and just sick and twisted? And, you know, I think those types of things, it took me a while to see past that and kind of see all of the other stuff that you're talking about. And it is there, and I agree with you. I think the film has a richness to it that I haven't always appreciated. Um, but I, I do appreciate it quite a bit now. I, and it's, it's an interesting movie. I, you know the idea that you brought up about Joe Bob saying that it's like a movie without, what did you say? It's a, it's a mystery without a, a point, point. Really? I, I guess it was like, he's, I think he referred to it. Like the whole movie is just one big red herring. <laughs> yeah. And it is really weird how they chose to do that. You know, it, it seems like something you'd see in a giallo, but maybe with one extra scene on the end that we that we didn't get in this one. And so that, yeah. I don't know. I, it, it is an interesting choice i they make a choice also to not really we refer to the killer as billy over the years horror fans have come to refer to this Mm -hmm. killer as billy but it's only based on contextual information that we or someone pieced together for us over the years i agree with that never stated what his name is we never really see his face during the entire film and it's a pretty weird slasher you know and again now this is predating pretty much every other slasher in the world well except except for except for chainsaw massacre because i agree with joe bob on that joe that movie came out before this one and i would argue chainsaw is a slasher and the fact that uh you know you did have i guess what you call the proto slashers like psycho and bay of blood and movies like that yes of course, of course. But my, my point only is that there wasn't a format for the slasher like there is now. We're all so familiar with the tropes of the slasher. and Those didn't really exist yet. There mm-hmm. was not uh, a known way that these films should go, you know, right. the stock and slash. And even with Halloween, there wasn't really, it didn't exist even at that point. And so it wasn't, I you know, my argument, it wasn't really until Friday the 13th, that they started cementing kind of these are the tropes of the slasher and, and it was because that film was written it was kind of reverse engineered off of halloween to kind of say okay how do they do this let's let's uh, create a template you know yeah. and i think that for me is what kind of cemented the narrative that we would follow in most slasher films anyway so this film does not adhere to it and so i think it's interesting to look at i think if you're a modern viewer and you go back and watch this movie there is a good chance that you're not going to respond to it as a mystery because of the way it plays out you might not respond to it as a slasher because of the way it plays out it's not a gory film it doesn't really show any of the kills on the screen the way that we would start to expect to see them in the 80s having said that i think it leaves a really stark psychological imprint on you because Mm. of how ghastly some of the language and some of the images are like i just remember feeling really disturbed the first time i saw this movie like whoa that was intense you know (laughs) despite it lacking you know knife penetrating the body shots or what have you right yeah, it's it's really not a violent film, and I think what's interesting. I mean, yeah, we're talking about it as a slasher, and it. Uh, 
I have a, a list of my 10 favorite slasher films, and uh, and we always talk the 80s uh, with that subgenre, but there are two uh, movies on that list that are not from the 80s, and they are, of course, Halloween and Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it really is, uh, in many ways, a slasher film uh, and set up as one. I mean, you get the POV shot. That's something that would be used again in Halloween and throughout the slasher subgenre that pov you know from the killer's perspective looking through a window or out of a window or or something but there's i think what's more to black christmas is what hitchcock referred to as suspense where you have shocks which a lot of slashes would use just the, the killer jumping out at you um you know from around a corner or something and you have suspense where you're filled in on a little bit of information that the characters mm-hmm. don't know. And this movie does that throughout. I mean, you look at a movie like 1979's When a Stranger Calls, where you have that opening 15 minutes or so where the suspense is just unbearable. We're filled in on the fact that this guy is, and this is not a spoiler, this is right up at the front. This guy is living with them in this house. You're right. Nobody knows this. None of the characters know this. So as they're going about their joking and their little personal dramas and dealing with the girl's father who showed up and trying to figure out what's happening in this in this town and why their friends aren't getting home. We know why we know that this person is right upstairs Mm -hmm. and could hit at any time. And it does build just such a strong suspense. It's Hitchcockian. it's it is. That's yeah. exactly it. It's yeah. it, and that is what Hitchcock referred to as suspense. Hitchcock had always said that that famous comparison: two people sitting at a table, the table explodes. That's a shock. You show the picture of the bomb under the table, and these two guys are playing cards. Don't know the bomb is there. One of them says, "Well, let's go." The other says, "Well, let me finish my coffee." Now you're building suspense, and mm-hmm. that's what this movie does. Mm-hmm. And then they throw in that really sort of intense scene that's outside of this story, where they're searching a park oh, yes. for two possible victims. Come across one that, you know, and again, I don't know. You you get the feeling: is it related? to what's going on at, at the sorority? Is it not related? You have to feel like it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, there's do. also a reference to another crime that happened somewhat earlier recently, you know, and you, mm-hmm. get, you get the feeling that there's been a slew of crime very right. recently and leading these up violent stuff in the sorority. Yeah. These violent crimes that, that have been occurring, but you get the cold, you get, you get the isolation, you get uh, just the, the way that that scene is just it doesn't fit with everything going on at the sorority necessarily. I mean, it does, you know. I guess it does thematically, but it's still sort of outside the of, uh, of that, you know, particular storyline. But yet, still adds so much to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought yeah. anyway, and it really adds. And it adds what I was saying. It adds the the cold, the isolation, the uh, the danger. It brings yeah. all of that in and. I mean, this, it really is something, uh, this movie, I think, you know, the more you see it, the more I see it, the more I appreciate it. And I liked it right off and I just appreciate it more and more every time I say it. And like you, Joel, I did the same experiment on the same day, as a matter of fact, <laughs> that you were doing it, but I watched them chronologically because oh, I did you. Okay. I, yeah. I watched 74, then 2006. And then I went to the theater to see, uh, to see 2019. All right. Very cool. Um, and I just really just appreciated this one. A, a, at least as much, if not more, 
than I did. And I really appreciate Bob Clark too. This is a real, this guy is, he's like a Howard Hawks in a way of working in different genres. And he's one of the few guys I think who has a film in, in, uh, on Ebert's great movies and a film on Ebert's. I hated, hated, hated this movie, <laughs> um, with uh, a Christmas story on the greats and, and Porky's I'm pretty sure made his, uh, his, I hated, hated, hated this movie book. It was, um, it wasn't and, baby. And, it wasn't baby geniuses. Oh, what baby geniuses! I know, I know. Uh, uh, Ebert hated, hated, hated that one as well. Uh, but even with his horror movies, you know, children should play with dead things and Dead of Night, uh, just and and Murder by Decree, which he made in '79. He's just an interesting director, just dabbling in all of these different yeah. uh, genres, um, and really doing something special. At Christmas, if you think about it, his yeah. two Christmas movies yeah. are what he's most remembered for. Yeah. And also, he is one of three people credited as the phone voice mm-hmm. in this movie. So, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I was going to say that those voices, wow. and and specifically oh, yeah. when that when the killer, because I, I think to your point, Josh, I agree with you. I don't know that that is Billy. For all we know, because there's several moments where he t- he seems to take on different personas, and just because he says, you know, Agnes, it's me, Billy, doesn't necessarily mean that that is in fact who he is. So. Yeah, I mean, deduction would say it's the most likely. Most likely, most likely. Yes, but I think what I found, and I've always found the most chilling. Obviously, some of the calls are just full on gross, but when that when he just some of the sounds he makes, and then of course that shift with Margot Kidder too. Yeah, you know, I don't feel like I'm giving too much away here. Just but the shift in tone when we get the "I'm going to kill you." click it's like oh dear lord (laughs) like completely rational completely calm and because what i i love the most and i don't know why i love it so much but those moments when his rage is revealed when he's in the attic and and things are being smashed around just there's he's so unhinged and yet and yet he's so controlled and he's because to do what he does to be as methodical as he is, right? You know, and it's almost like everything we know from watching shows like Criminal Minds and, and all these other ones. It's like, wait a minute. He's not an, he wouldn't be an organized killer because he's <laughs> he's completely unhinged. But yet, but yet he is. He's very organized in a sense. And I think really what I come down with why this movie is I love it so much, too, is I'm a huge fan of urban legends and urban legends are those types of stories that when you dig into them, just even remotely below the surface, they kind of all fall apart, which is why you basically figure out they're not true. And and if you think about this movie and how it ends without giving anything away, it's basically an urban legend because obviously the things that happen and have to happen for it to all culminate the way it does. You're like, wait a second, who's going to do blah, blah, blah. But Yet, it, 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 on its face, it works. It's creepy, it's unsettling, and it's all of the quiet moments. It's the thing that I, without giving anything away about how I feel about the, new, the, the newer two versions of this movie, the thing that I felt they missed completely, although I think the new one got it a couple times, is the quiet. That there's this, like the way this movie opens, and I think is it Silent Night that's playing, and it's that 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 yeah. like, almost like that chorus singing it. It's very just calm. You can hear the wind blowing, and it's a still shot. And I get that that's indicative of the time when this movie was made. And nowadays, you got to do everything faster. Okay, I don't I don't buy that audiences don't have the attention span for it. But I know that's why they rationalize why they do what they do. But for this movie, those quiet moments 
then hit, hitting you with the the rage explosion from the killer. Just all of that mm-hmm. working together is why this movie works so well for me. Yeah, man, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. My kind of defense for anyone who said, well, it, it lacks on the mystery or it lacks on the slasher, I would say it feels really real. To your point, Joel, it was of its time. Like that's kind of what was going on in cinema across the board in 1974, this type of filmmaking. But I think it really adds something special to this movie that not very many other slashers have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I will say too, you bring up the whole idea of how it feels realistic. One thing that feels realistic to me, and I love that it's in this, and I think it's very indicative of the fact that Bob Clark, to your point, Dave, being that he would also go on to be known as a, co- a comedy director as well, there is some good moments of humor and levity in this, and even in the darkest <laughs> moments, humans yeah. have laughs and i i don't know why but it gets me every time but i think his name is buchanan he's the other cop who does almost nothing other than laugh at nash yeah i love that guy because it feels (laughs) it feels so real like i totally could see a couple of cops in the middle of this horrific scenario having this moment of levity with this one idiot who just keeps doing really dumb things and the and the one cop laughing because more at John Saxon because he's the guy who has to deal with it. I, I just, I don't know why I just love that this movie has that in it as well. You, you wonder about this cop <laughs> when he's given simple tasks, he just can't seem to do them. Sure. Um, even, even later on when he's making a call mm-hmm. and he's told, you know, just, and, and he's told if you screw this up, <laughs> <laughs> I am going to personally kill you. Uh, and yet he, he screws it to up. screw it up. He screws it up. Yeah. yeah he Quickly. still screws he it up. He doesn't even screw it up. Like, he doesn't go for a while. Like within 30 seconds, he screws it right. up. Yeah. It, it's it's done. And he's, he's, he set this person uh, off doing something that, uh, that the opposite of what they wanted this person to do. Sure. Sure. Um, I did like that as well. And you're right. That that one cop does add quite a bit. All he's doing is laughing. <laughs> it's the way at, he does it, though. It looks so, like a it's like a very real laugh. It's almost as if it's almost as it's almost as if he himself had to deal with it initially. Now he's laughing that John Saxon has to deal. with Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Or like he knew it was he knew that it was about to be told that. <laughs> yes. That, Right, right. He's just waiting to he get the waiting. laugh out yes, of it. Yes, exactly, exactly what it was. He was, he was wait, it's like the person who knows the prank is about to happen and they can't quite hold right. it back. And, they're just, <laughs> right. and they start to giggle and lose it. And then as soon as it, then when it gets unleashed, they just lose it. Yes. I, I, I just love that the movie has those moments. And then Margot Kidder's character obviously has a few moments, especially with that cop, uh, the, the aforementioned right. cop, uh, where, where she uh, misleads him, let's say. And I mean, there's just these little things that, I don't know. I feel like in a, in a lot of movies they wouldn't they wouldn't have bothered. They would just it would have been stay focused on the the seriousness of the situation. But because of that, in my mind, it heightens the darker serious stuff because you are dealing with that. And another aspect mm-hmm. of this movie that I think you know we really can't be understated is there's a strong, especially once we get to the the newest version of this. This movie had a very strong social. I don't even call it a message, but the fact that they're dealing with abortion in 1974 yeah. with the main character. The year after Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. it's, it's easy to forget that now, but in 1974, that would have been a really big deal. 
Well, dude, that's a big. It's still a hot button issue today. So I've, I've you look. I'm. I don't want to. You just reminded me that we're gonna have to get into this later in the show because I was having a good time. <laughs> but man, there there's so much hate flying around the internet right now. <laughs> it's just disheartening to me. And um, yeah, I, this is the thing this was a political movie and I know that Bob Clark and some of the actors, I don't know if it was Olivia Hussey or, or Margot Kidder had said, no, there was no political motivation in the film. That may well be true. Maybe there wasn't any kind of agenda or motivation with the, the politics, but like you say, to have your main character, the yeah. person we're rooting for and yeah. empathizing with saying straight up, I don't want this baby. I'm having an abortion. And I don't want to marry you because I have stuff I want to do with my life. Yeah. That would t- studios right now would say we can't do that. That's going to make people not like the character. We can't do that with our main character. Like that would be controversial today, let alone in 1974, the year after Roe v. Yes. Wade. So I, it, I just my it gets mm-hmm. me frustrated when people are acting like this was an apolitical film. No, like this had a lot going on with these young women. They were real people. They were grounded in a reality. They were dealing with adult stuff in their lives. And that's part of what made the movie so cool. Yes. Agree with you 100%, man. Yeah. So uh, you guys want to maybe uh, throw out some ratings and recommendations? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I will uh, no longer be on this podcast if you give this thing anything less than a nine, but I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. Um, so, yes. Uh, Josh, Wolfman. Well, I looked back at episode five and I gave this an eight out of 10 and I said to buy it. Okay. So I really enjoyed having you on the show. It's been a <laughs> great run. Are you, are you staying with an eight? Are you going to stay? You won't even bump it up to an 8.5 based on everything you said and has been revealed here today, sir. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I will say on my most recent watch. Now I didn't do what you guys did, but I did close to that. I watched the movies three days in a row. So I watched 1974 one day, 2006, the next day. And then I, Honestly, to be completely transparent, I was not planning on seeing the new film just because my time is so limited right now. I didn't think I was going to be able to make it to the theater. And I really wanted to see Knives Out and Jojo Rabbit while they were on the big screen. And I didn't know if Black Christmas was going to be at that level for me. And so I was not going to see this movie in the theater. But we went to Knives Out and the projector broke and we all got... a our money refunded and an additional movie pass. And my family wanted to go home. And so I got to stay and watch black Christmas. It was perfect. (laughs) So um, I did watch black Christmas, all three movies, three days in a row. I will say doing it that way gave me a great appreciation for this film on a level that I didn't have before. And that, and I really felt the richness that this film had, especially seeing what the other two films tried to do with that material it was interesting to think about how they had handled the original. My favorite type of film is a whodunit murder mystery. That's why I like slashers in the first place. And this is one of those types of films that will, I, you know, but it, the, the truth of the matter is the whodunit aspect is just a little bit underwhelming. It's cool. It's an interesting choice. It's freaky and it's a freaky way to end the movie, but it did feel a little, I think it feels a little bit clunky to me. Like I'm just trying to figure out how and why is this killer doing what they're doing? And, and for me, that just, it just feels a, doesn't feel very tightly constructed. So that I have an issue with that. That is why I have dropped it down the points that I have in the past. And I am adding back 
point five. <sighs> so yeah, I'm gonna be with an eight point five out of ten. Okay, I will rescind my resignation then. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Because that's close enough. That's close enough. I'm, I'm bringing good. it up. Okay. For this episode, Joel. Merry Christmas to me. Thank you for that. Yes. And uh, you still say it's a buy, I assume. For the purposes of this review, I would say stream it on Shutter. Otherwise, I would say it's a buy. But because Joe Bob's Red Christmas is available, that is a great excuse to stream it on Shutter. Absolutely. So what about you, Doc Shock? Uh, I have no idea what I rated it on episode five, but I am going to give it a 10 out of 10. Uh, This is a buy, absolute buy. As as a matter of fact, Scream Factory has a Blu-ray special edition out of this movie that uh, I think you need to pick up. The mystery aspect for me, I understand what I understand what you're saying, Josh, and I don't I don't disagree with you, Uh, but it's not as it's just not as important to me only because. In this movie, we don't know anything about this guy except that he's completely insane. I mean, he's yeah. absolutely off the wall insane, and that's what we're dealing with. And that's what these these women don't realize. They don't realize that this is this is what they've got right above them every minute of this movie, uh, and that this guy could have just uh, attacked at any minute. And I think. That whole that whole suspense it just hangs over this film and it really adds so much to it uh, and plus everything else we've been discussing the the scene in the park and everything yeah this is a ten out of ten it's one that uh, should become a staple at the, at Christmas time you should watch this I think every holiday season right up there with Rudolph and Charlie Brown Christmas you should throw Black Christmas in maybe right <laughs> after maybe that should be the that, that should be the the, uh, the trilogy. Yes. The kids will love it. They will. Yeah. They will. Absolutely. Can, can you imagine if uh, after Dave's uh, rating, I came in at like a nine or 9.5. <laughs> so I will say I do own the Scream Factory Blu-ray myself. Uh, it's got a lot of extras on it that are fantastic. But I will say uh, in the spirit of Shudder sponsoring this episode in this segment, uh, I did watch it on Shudder. For the during the Joe Bob special, that is that is so how I, I yeah. So I'm very awesome. very happy to have gotten to because you know I always love the the trivia and everything that that he and Darcy talk about in the in between segments. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, for me, it's uh, a ten. <laughs> it's it's uh, that's that is sort of a no brainer. Uh, I love this movie. It has it is absolutely. It's kind of I know it's weird to be like oh, I'm nostalgic for a movie about an insane rage killer who's you know stalking young women in their home, but I am and I. Uh, for for a variety of personal reasons, but it's just a great movie, uh, in my opinion. And uh, I say absolutely should own it. You should watch it on Shutter. You should do both, like I did. Uh, and uh, that is Black Christmas from 1974. And again, you can catch Black Christmas 1974 on Shutter or within Joe Bob Briggs' Red Christmas at the last drive-in. And if you like this show, we don't get paid for this. You can help us out at no additional cost to you. Just try Shutter free for 30 days. Go to Shutter.com and use promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use promo code HMP. And you can extend your normal seven-day free trial of Shutter to a free 30-day free trial of Shutter. And let them know that we sent you in the process. We'd really appreciate it. All right. So now let's move into our feature review for Black Christmas 2006. Some people have 
expressed outrage. Is that Santa's reindeer? Over a Christmas movie that is this violent, this disturbing, and this raw. Our answer is, you haven't seen anything yet. The girls of Delta Alpha Kappa Billy lived here. Fought the legend of Billy Lenz. Who is in my house? Was a joke. Oh, you're definitely getting punked. But evil still lives. We walk up the house, stay together. Within these walls. He's in the attic. Black Christmas. Rated R. Okay, Black Christmas um, from 2006. I'm just going to read the IMDb synopsis for this one. On Christmas Eve, an escaped maniac returns to his childhood home, which is now a sorority house, and begins to murder the sorority sisters one by one. That does sum it up. I think it's interesting how in the 74 Black Christmas, it's a stranger. Uh, in this one, he's an escaped maniac. And I think that sort of tells you a little something about this version of Black Christmas. This is the one, and I, I looked this up because I did review this on a podcast many years ago, one of the first podcasts I was ever on, I think it was the second podcast I ever did, we reviewed this version of Black Christmas. And uh, oddly enough, I went back into my notes. I have a, uh, a file, uh, it's an Excel file with the tabs that I keep for every year and all of the reviews and everything. And I actually watched 2006 Black Christmas 10 years ago tonight. Wow. Which I thought was interesting from the time <laughs> we were, the day we're recording this, it was exactly 10 years ago that I watched Black Christmas for the 2006 for the first time. Uh, we get the same setup. Sorority sisters, a lot of them have gone home for the holidays. There are some that have remained behind for various reasons, dealing with it in their own ways. And there is a killer stalking them, and it is an escaped maniac. However, this movie also throws in uh, the backstory of Billy. Uh, he is the character in this one. We get what happened to him at childhood and, and what the, he had gone through. And I think, you know, I, I'm not one of the ones like, like I've come to sort of accept the Rob Zombie Halloween backstory. I didn't love it at first, but I've come to sort of accept it at this point. This one, I think just, I find it a little more distasteful because it's almost as if it's like, Let's feel sorry for this guy as he's killing these innocent women, you know, <laughs> and that's what the, it's almost like what they're trying to do is like he's a victim too, you know, and uh, is there anyone who watched the original Black Christmas and heard the phone calls? It's all you got from this guy in the initial one and the, and the scenes of him like going crazy in the attic. Is there anyone who thought? Well, this person came from a well-adjusted home with parents who gave him a hug every night. <laughs> Did we need to see that? <laughs> but to your point, Dave, I think it's interesting that it does go just as far as young Michael Myers, Rob Zombie uh, origin. Like he's from such a dysfunctional house. It's <laughs> shocking. Like it's the most terrible <laughs> childhood a person yes. could ever have. It certainly is. It certainly is. But again, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone 
that he had a childhood like that. If you know anything about the character from from or this character from the initial movie. Now, if we look at the two films, if you look at the original Halloween and the original Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, we know nothing about this guy but his voice. Because when we see him, he is totally point of view, except a few times we'll see an eyeball or something or like, you know. In the original Halloween, it starts off, we see the suburban house. We see the, the older sister, the parents coming home. We get an idea of Michael Myers' family life, and then we learn uh, when um, you know Loomis comes in and said, "This is pure evil." We think maybe this is pure evil. Maybe this is nature, not nurture. Mm-hmm. Mm. In Black Christmas, we don't. In the original Black Christmas, we're not given any clues about this guy. But yet, I think we can draw some conclusions <laughs> on our own. You know, um, and obviously, Rob Zombie completely turned that backstory over and gave us a completely different family life than we were anticipating from John Carpenter's original Halloween. But in Black Christmas, I don't think that's such a surprise. It's almost more misogynistic if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, these girls are dying, but he's a victim too. <laughs> I Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, uh... <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. My favorite thing. I feel like we should do a drinking game for the listeners. Every time Josh does the... uh, (laughs) In reaction to what one of us says. I love that. There's so much. Can I say the real quick, my favorite thing? That they would allow a sorority to open a house there within two years of the events that took place. Yeah. The other funny thing is that the house mother... Has been there since the beginning, but she is not aware of the backstory. <laughs> yeah, at all. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though they leave a gift for Billy, even though they leave a gift. <laughs> yeah, I do love that. That was the actress from the original film, though. I will be honest with you. Yeah, my favorite yeah. thing about this movie is that Andrea Martin <laughs> was in it. That, right, that, yes, right. yes. <laughs> that was a really nice touch. I have to hand it to them for that. No, um. <laughs> <laughs> and that's josh's review for (laughs) by christmas okay so this was my first time seeing this movie i have to say that first Uh, when we've talked about in the past i thought i had seen this movie but i would think i was thinking of the remake of silent night deadly night that's just called silent night so i as i watched this i was like no this is nothing like what i thought i had seen before this is off the wall this is such an insane backstory (laughs) i cannot believe what i was seeing like i thought the rob zombie backstory was extreme this is next this is almost like tim burton and sam (laughs) raimi said what's the most dumb thing we can come up with (laughs) 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 oh that's all that is spot on yeah it's honestly by comparison and i am obviously no apologist for zombies movie but seriously by comparison that is a thoughtful <laughs> dramatic depiction <laughs> of the psychological damage inflicted upon a poor child in a in a truly abusive household full stop compared to the backstory <laughs> of this movie this is just right. bizarre and then you know we talked about the original black christmas coming out the year after roe v wade this movie came out the year after sin city which explains why yellow bastard is making it appearance <laughs> in this movie <laughs> Like, where did that come from? <laughs> but he is a lot. And he's crawling around walls uh, and all kinds uh, of stuff. Oh my god. Right. Okay, to be fair, like for the first half of the film, 
I thought like, oh, this is interesting. Like I like kind of like where they're going with this when it really dug into that backstory and the mom's having sex with the guy who murdered Billy's father on the top of the stairs. She's like, what is going on here? This is terrible. And it got worse. <laughs> oh, it got, it got worse. It, worse. It got way worse. <laughs> yes, it did. It was just, it's a bananas movie. For, for, no, I, for no discernible reason, it got worse. You're like, what? what? They never even set up the idea that that type of abuse was happening here. I am so utterly right. confused as to what's going on right now. Well, there was hinting at incestual relationships in the first film, but it was hinting. You yes. know, it was right. Agnes, don't tell mommy and daddy what we did. Yes. Full stop. That was it. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. But you get the idea. That's why the crime happened. I'm just imagining to Dave's point about Halloween. Like I'm imagining a completely different home life for these characters <laughs> that we got in this movie. Yeah. Also, this is a side note, but it really did affect my viewing experience. The house. Why it was a family of three or four living in the most insanely, and they didn't, they weren't rich too. They were like dirt poor, yeah. white trash, right. yep, yep. living in a mansion, yes. like a right. 18, <laughs> like eighteen room <laughs> house. Like for some reason, even believing that Billy lived in the nineteen seventy four house, it doesn't occur to you because it just feels like a house. This did not feel like a house. It felt like those hallways were ridiculously yes. large yes. and long and wide. Like, right. what is going on here? They're live. They're in a mansion, and the super poor family is living in this mansion. And the mom is grandmother age. Like the the actress could not have been less than fifty or sixty. <laughs> yeah, I agree. When she was having her yeah. first child, <laughs> I don't know. It was just bizarre. Which, which is funny. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. The actress who plays the mom is uh, Karen Konaval. I was trying to look up and see mm-hmm. like, what her age is, because yeah, and it was. I think it was just the makeup too. They just made her look. But even from date, like the first scene, yeah, when Billy's right. a little baby boy, yeah, she's old, she looks like a grandma. Yeah, yeah, she looks yeah. like Billy's great grandma is there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I don't really get to uh, like the timeline. I think that was the other thing that was throwing me. The way they, they, I get that they needed, they wanted this to be Billy's house and they were trying to tie it all in. But why not have it be one of those things where maybe because this movie took place in in 2006. So had the, the things that happened there happened maybe 10 years before then I could, I, I feel right. it's a bit of a stretch that anybody would want to have a sorority house at a house. But then again, the house that the whole thing happened with Bundy, they still, that's still a sorority house. I mean, so things that bad things happen. Eesh. Yeah. So it's still there and they still use it. So, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like there should have been a little bit more than like a year and a half <laughs> between the events of Billy making people cookies and eating eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like as as a parent, if you found it, your child was going to school. Oh, and where will you be staying? Oh, I have a pledge to sorority, uh, mom and dad. Oh, really? Where is it? Oh, you know the house where that really horrific, god awful thing happened that would have been national news because of the mm-hmm. level of atrocity involved. Yeah, that's the house. That's where we'll be staying. Right, the the house where that, uh, according to Kyle, uh, another very strange character in this movie. Uh, says that uh, you know he he lived there his whole life and he was used to be scared of this house. That's uh-huh. the one that the kids would run past and yeah. all this other stuff. So, so would that have been the year and a half when it was abandoned? 
Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Just checking. Yeah, the timeline was really confusing. And I was like, I, I was kind of doing the math in my head. And I was like, I must have messed up because that doesn't make any sense. And I don't know about you guys, but the thing that shocked me is who was behind this movie. Glenn Morgan mm. is a yeah. guy who, I mean, I remember seeing Willard, his remake of Willard in the theater, and I yeah. really liked it with Chris McGlover. I did too. Yeah. I did, I did, too. I did not care for it. Okay. But. Well, it's, to be fair, I haven't seen it since 2003, but I do remember liking it. <laughs> so I did, yeah. I did like it. But he was one of the, he and James Wong wrote some pretty great X-Files episodes, some classic ones. And yeah, he, re- he wrote like 79 episodes of the X-Files. Yeah. And so, right. I mean, Yeah, I just I guess the thing that really surprised me about this movie was just the level of disjointedness (laughs) that that I there were moments where I'm thinking, what in the what is happening? I I don't even I I don't even get how we got to this point with this particular person. And I will say I I can uh, on some level appreciate, Okay, you're trying to do something different. You're trying to take the the Black Christmas name, which, let's be frank, as much as I love that movie, it's not like doing a remake of Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, you know, where people know what the movie is. Uh, to right. say, I'm going to remake <laughs> Black Christmas and, and there'll be crickets because no one, the the, the, the mass audience at large is not going to go, really? <laughs> well, let's rush out to the theater and see that. No one's going to care. Right. So, <laughs> so the fact that you did that, okay, but then, okay, you're going to try to do something different by giving us more about this character. And then there, I try to think of how to say this without spoiling it. I, I presume a lot of the people listening right now have either seen it or couldn't care less. But there is an aspect related to Agnes, let's just say, mm-hmm. that I I appreciate the inclusion of, but I'm still trying to figure out where that, even, like how that even got there. Like how, because <laughs> I must have missed something. I know I watched the movie, but I must have missed and I feel like we almost have to have like a spoiler segment to really delve into this aspect of it. I don't know what you're referring to, but so you don't know what I'm referring to. Hmm. Okay. Well, here I'll say it. And so in about next 10 seconds, I'm going to say about 30 seconds spoilers. If you don't want to spoil for black Christmas, 2006, you know, fast forward or whatever. Where, where did Agnes come from? <laughs> Billy escaped. Where's she been? Yeah, where's she been? Like, was she living in the walls the whole time? Was this like a people under the stairs scenario? Where did she come from? Did they ever say? I don't think he, I don't think so. I think he, I don't think so. Yeah, I think we were supposed to believe it was the red herring girl. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, Eve. Which, by the way, that was like that was so on the nose. Either there was no way it was, or it absolutely was. I mean, there was that that went nowhere, didn't it? I mean, that went nowhere fast. Yeah, I think in a way, this movie would have worked so much better for me if that had been the focal point. That you know, uh, expand Agnes maybe, or you know, do something like that. But I'm not gonna lie, this was a rough one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are moments in it. Like I liked the scene set at the, uh, I guess, the asylum. Oh, yeah. Those didn't bother me. The, those kind of fit in with a modern slasher. It was Christmassy. I will say, I, I believe, yeah. I believe Darcy from, from uh, the Joe Bob's Let's Drive In, I believe that she actually prefers this to the original. And, really? And, and, she, and she argues that it's way more Christmassy. And I would say, I don't know if it's way more Christmassy than the original. I would say it's way more Christmassy than the newest one. And it does have a scene set in the snow. Uh, Josh, I know you like that. So I think all three of these films have a lot of Christmas lights and snow and i like that about all three of the films mm-hmm. right by the time it gets into halloween 2 territory <laughs> i was out i was like isn't yeah. this over why should why isn't this over i mean why are we still here 
It's a rough watch, man. Here's the weird thing is I was actually fully enjoying it at first. Like I, I thought, you know, if you were to cut out all the backstory mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. just about these women being terrorized in this house, I would say this is a decent, not great, but decent slasher for its era. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's watchable. It's fun. I mean, it's interesting. There's some interesting things there. I'm not going to say it's not interesting, you know, like the burying under the house scene that happens. Yeah. Interesting. The backstory just made it miserable though. The, the sum of its parts was just a real turnoff, I guess, for me. If you're going to give it any backstory, do it in the opening five minutes and then let's not return to it. Just like you said, just you, ha- you may have like the, the body being married. Like give us during the opening credit sequence, you know, you show a title and then you cut to things that lay out what happened with Billy. And just give us a lot less. Yeah, that's like, what just And then you're Joseph done. Billy and Agnes are, and yeah. why they're traumatized. Done. Yeah, done. And then and then go into like because it's funny now that you say that, I agree with you. I think that most of the stuff around the sorority house itself, it's cheesy and campy and all that kind of stuff. But that was at least entertaining. I mean, it was right. you know, it was zany right. and wacky, but it was very entertaining. But yeah, every time we go to the flashback, and you're like, what is happening? Why? Why are we yeah. back here? So yeah. I really liked all the scenes that took place outdoors. Yeah. There are two involving a car. Yeah. That was two strong. involving like kind of like trying to get out from under the house or through like a shed door. Those were cool. Yeah. And and even the one with icicle. Yes. uh, It's like ridiculous, but it's kind of fun. You know, it's like for this type of film. So uh, speaking of ridiculous, you guys ready to uh, rate and uh, (laughs) throw out some recommendations. All right. So uh, Dave. It's interesting enough that I I didn't remember what I rated the original Black Christmas just uh, however many years ago. But I remember my rating from 10 years ago for this movie. It was a 3.5 then. I'm actually going to go up to a four but it for me is still a don't bother like i was saying earlier go back at the holidays and watch uh a christmas horror story and uh the krampus and things like that and it, there are many other films to watch at the holidays than the 2006 black christmas uh but i like that said i liked the scene set at the asylum the outdoor scenes you're right josh those were good especially the the car I thought that was maybe mm-hmm. the strongest scene of that grouping. It's just, uh, you know, such a wow moment to find out that, that Billy was, came from a dysfunctional family, you know, and, 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 and just dysfunctional and continually on and on and on. Oh, you thought they were bad in the first scene. Where did we get to the 10th <laughs> scene with this people? <laughs> All right. Wolfman. Okay. Um, Again, if I were just taking it on the modern slasher elements, I think for the era that this film was released in, this is and, and judging it only within the bubble of that era, I would say this is like six or seven for early two thousand slashers. But adding that backstory in and then comparing it to the breadth of cinema, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm giving this one a four point five, and you know I I think it's still worth watching. If you want to do what we did and kind of go on a black Christmas kick and see all the different iterations at the same time, I had a good time. Like I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching these three movies back to back to back. So I, I would recommend it in that way. Otherwise, as Dave said, I think you can skip it. There are 20 other Christmas horror movies that are better Christmas horror movies that you can better spend your time watching and enjoy a whole lot more. So that would be my recommendation. 
Well, I also came in at a 4.5. I It's interesting, though. My original was, I think, a 2 or a 2.5. Wow. So I was, and 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 it wow. actually and it actually went up, which I know this seems like I'm foreshadowing what my feelings are going to be about the 2019, but not entirely. But for whatever reason, watching this movie, I think benefited the 2019 movie for me, <laughs> going from this to that. But then, upon reflection of the 2019, this is where I meant by that it had this weird pivot for me. It, it then was like I was like, yeah, but. At the end of the day, as is, is, is disjointed and weird and just all over the place that 06 version is, at least there was a lot of in, like things that were entertaining on their face, right? There was there was things about it that I found entertaining uh, about right. it. So I, I come in at a 4.5. So it went up like two points from what I originally thought, <laughs> but uh, but not by a whole lot. So I personally would <laughs> say... I, I don't even know I'd call it a low priority event. I'd say avoid because I think that unless... You know, you really got a hankering for, I don't know, Christmas horror, and you've gone through everything else, then maybe, sure, go for it. But other than that, yeah, I'd have to say pass. Wow. It's grim out there, folks. I apologize to Darcy and everyone else who's a fan of this movie. We tried. We tried. That is our feature review for Black Christmas 2006. And now, the one you've all been waiting for the feature review of Black Christmas 2019. It's my privilege to teach you this semester. Enjoy your winter breaks and Merry Christmas. Sup, ladies? Excited for tonight? It is our last day of our last fall semester of college ever. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell, Helena hasn't gotten home yet. If I were missing, I'd want you to unleash the bloodhounds and track me down. She was at DKO last night. Still creating problems, huh, Rai? Hello? Hello? I'm worried that something bad happened. It's winter break. Could just be a delay of some sort. Snow. My friend is missing. Nine times out of ten, the girl's just with a boyfriend. I will bring you to your knees. There's someone in the house. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of running. Ho, 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 bitch. You mess with the wrong sisters. Black Christmas is a 2019 film. It was directed by Sophia Takal and co-written by Sophia Takal and April Wolf. Now, Sophia Takal is probably best known to people as an actress. She was kind of a mumblecore actress, one of the more prominent 
and she switched over to directing. I love her feature directorial debut. I did not know until this movie came out that she was the one who directed. I saw it. The year it came out, loved it. Never heard much about it or thought much about it after that. And then in researching the director for this film, I said, oh, okay, wait, that's that actress. Oh, and then that actress directed that movie. Uh, her film Always Shine is a movie that I highly recommend people check out. I think she's a very talented director. Uh, April Wolf is known in the horror community because she is half of the Switchblade Sisters podcast. She knows her horror stuff. Hmm. So why do these two people who know their horror and are very talented come up with this movie that has people so divided, so fiercely divided and furious? I have never seen the horror community as angry about anything. I'm not joking when I say anything as I have about this movie. I cannot understand it, uh, why they're so mad. I have a theory, but people aren't going to like that theory. And I don't know if we, w- we want to wait for a little while to get to that. We can just talk about the movie first. I think that's fine. Um, it's a pretty good movie, I would say. It sets up one type of film and ends up being a different type of film. I think that is the film's biggest problem that it has, personally. The other biggest problem that it has is this has nothing to do with Black Christmas, <laughs> other than the very basic synopsis, which is, as read from IMDb, a group of female students are stalked by a stranger during their Christmas break. That is, until the young sorority pledges discover that the killer is part of a dot, dot, dot. I don't even want to give away mm-hmm. that they're a part oh, yeah. of it. Yeah. Right. Can, right. Can, can we get this out of the way now? Did either of you see the trailer for this before what you went into it? That was problem number one is that the trailer for this film oh my God. gives away the ending of the movie. Oh, it's like, oh, not even like, uh, oh, are they just kind of giving us a red herring in the trailer? No, no, no. It, if you've seen that trailer, you know how this movie goes for the most part. I mean, there's another yeah. aspect of the twist, but there are surprises along the way. It doesn't are, go but, exactly as it's presented, uh, but, but you're never going to be surprised during no. your viewing experience. No, not at except all. maybe unpleasantly surprised, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, that was the first problem, or maybe the second problem. The other problem is this Black Christmas title. So this is what happened. Blumhouse bought the title Black Christmas. Now, to your point, Joel, maybe that was their first mistake. Maybe to them, it like in their insular world, and being working with John Carpenter and knowing what a huge influence Black Christmas was on Halloween, and you know, only talking to horror fans, they didn't really realize that maybe Black Christmas isn't as big a title out in the world as they thought Mm -hmm. you know but they buy this title and they know within the calendar year we want this movie to come out in theaters so they hire director sophia to call she has to write the screenplay in the spring shoot it in the summer and has to release by christmas oh my god so sophia to call wrote this screenplay she says in a month wow and she ended up hiring april wolf to come on and help her co-write it because gargantuan task and they both claim they're huge fans of the original film now what april wolf said is they were working so feverishly trying to get this out that they didn't really have time to sit and try to make everything reflect back on the original they said we're working so fast let's just follow the story wherever it goes for us let's just let's just get this out on the page and wherever this story takes us and these characters take us that's where the film's going they thought the basic setup was enough. They also said, we love the original so much, we don't think it needs to be remade. They watched the film together, the director and the writer, and they said, this movie is still relevant today. Like, all of the things that are facing these female characters, 
is all still relevant if you released it in 2019. So why are we? Why would we remake that film? We have to do something new. So they tried to do a, make a film that would speak to this time that we're in right now, and that would potentially be a film that would bring young women to horror. They also, I believe, were given the instruction that had to come in at a PG-13. That wasn't a huge issue because, as we've talked about, the original Black Christmas doesn't have a lot of on-screen gore. So it was easy to kind of live up to the violence level. Further, Sophia Tikal, if you watch Always Shine, she kind of likes to hide the kill moments. Like she, she does a lot of her kills kind of off-screen. And so it's something that's kind of in her wheelhouse anyway and how she prefers to tell a story. They further said that when they decided to make this film, and this is a very minor spoiler. Again, if you've seen the trailer, it's already obvious. This film largely deals with date rape culture, essentially. And they found when dealing with MPAA that if they're using the word rape, that might already automatically make it an R-rated film. And so Blumhouse had agreed using the word rape is really important to us. And so if the MPAA comes back and says, you cannot have the word rape or it's rated R, that was the one situation where Blumhouse would allow it to come out as an R-rated film. Any other situation, they had to agree that they were going to try to make it come in as a PG-13. So all of these things, in my opinion, really hamstring a filmmaker doing a good job with something like this. And I think given the circumstances they were in, for me, and I know... Joel has already alluded to this, and you're certainly, Joel, among the majority, or at least the vocal section of the audience. People were not entertained by this film. I I loved, loved the first half of this movie. I was 1,000% on board with these characters. I, I loved how these characters interacted with each other. I loved the world that this was taking place in. I loved that it was dealing with so, the current social environment that we find ourselves in. And that was all super exciting to me. For me, where it fell apart, and I was I was excited to report that what didn't work for me was not the, the social politics I was really afraid would weigh down the film or be too heavy-handed or too in your face. It is in your face, but I think they make a joke out of it when it's in your face. They they know what they're doing. They It's very plainly in your face, and I think that's kind of the point. So although... It, it is, I don't think they're hitting you over the head with it in terms of trying to convince you of anything. I think they're putting a middle finger in your face. I mean, like, this is what we're talking about. So I was, I was extremely excited to report that it was not the social political message behind the film that ruined it. For me, it was a plot twist. Like it was <laughs> the plotting of the film that ruined it for me. And I was kind of excited to say that. Like, I was glad to say like, look, it's okay to have a movie that features these characters. If you're going to make them like, we should be able to tell a story about any group of people on the planet. Mm-hmm. If you're telling a story about this group of people, this is exactly how they talk to each other. These are exactly the things they care about. And I went to college and I also know a bunch of millennials in college right now this is how they all talk to each other. And like, this is how they interact. Like they're very real human beings. Every single person in this movie, I was like, I know somebody who is like that person. And so I just was, I was just enjoying myself. And, um, but what happens is there's this plot twist 
I don't even know if you call it a twist. I guess it is a twist, mm-hmm. but the, the film takes a turn and it's a genre turn. And I think that for me was the thing that was so jarring mm-hmm. is it wasn't set up to be the type of movie it becomes. And although all of those social politics are around that genre turn and it's what makes, it's one of the things that makes it so unbearable when it happens. <laughs> Cause you're just like, Oh, come on. Like, and I understand why people who were not on board with those social politics at the beginning are really hating it, but uh, you know, by the finale, but if you take that out of it, cause again, I think the issue was in that genre turn, if they had just played it straight and that was the finale, I still think it would have been fun because I found the ending invigorating in terms of how the characters come together and what's going on in the, in this, in that with those people. I really hated the context they found themselves in. And so anyway, that's my very long winded introduction <laughs> because this is a, this is a film that I think like there's a lot to say and I'm scared. I was terrified to even talk about this movie. Uh, I, I, today. I, I'm not going to lie. So was I, but here's the thing. I, first off, I think I've made it no secret. My feelings on the movie crash <laughs> and not, not the Cronenberg mm-hmm. classic, uh, but the other one, because right. it's so heavy handed in its uh, message, uh, I, regardless of whether I agree with the message of, you know, I mean, like sitting down with the filmmaker we might be talking, I'm totally on board with everything that they, they think and they're, they're saying. But when it's in a movie, at first and foremost for me, it comes down to story. There were a lot of, th- actually, at first, I really like this movie as well. I found the problem I had with the, and I'm, I'm, I'm using air quotes that no one can see right now, the woke aspect of this movie is it was, I, I get what you're saying. You saw it. You read it as almost like a, a middle finger, you know, wink and a nod kind of. It came across, though, at certain points, it was so heavy handed. There were lines like your body, your choice. That is a f- you to anybody in the audience who isn't on board. No, I, I get that. And look, and honestly, I loved right. the setup that this was going to be dealing with the whole date rape aspect and and that it seemed like he was going in like a total like you're to your I mean, like this is nothing to do with the original Black Christmas. Like I can't even come back and say, well, they just tried. They messed up this remake. It's not a remake. This is not even a reimagining. This is a movie that happens to have the same title. In fact, there is a novel that came out in, I believe, the very early 80s that I came across in a used paperback bookstore. And it was called Black Christmas. And I for, forever thought it was like the novel, the book that the movie had been based on until I realized, mm. no, it just was a movie, a book called Black Christmas that dealt with a killer and had nothing to do with it. My point being that that's mm. what this is. This has nothing. I mean, it's an on a college campus. It's around Christmas time. It's got sorority uh, girls as the main characters. That is literally the only catch. I mean, that's the only connection. There's nothing else. But I, I guess the thing that I found to be a little like, okay, it, we get it we get it we get it i look at it we like get out and, I, and being that these are both blumhouse i feel like it's a really apt comparison mm-hmm. blumhouse was a get out was a socially important movie with something to say a movie that i as a white dude was so empathetic and on board with this character and what he was experiencing and going through like i was put in that place the problem i had with this movie it never and never felt that. Now, Imogen Poots, who I'm a big fan of, I love her in Green Room. I think she's fantastic. And I, she was the character I liked the most. I mean, I realize she's basically the main character, so that makes sense. But she was, there, there were, I just felt like things that happened with her, they didn't really, they're, I'm trying to think of how to do this without being spoilery. There is a dance number, let's say, <laughs> or a song. Uh, there's something yeah. that happens that is meant to be a middle finger. 
at what should have been, in my opinion, a specific individual that had done something horrific. And instead, right. it's done as this kind of flippant, this is how I perceived it, as this flippant sort of thing that I get was meant to make a point. But they obviously knew that they had there had been a, a little bit of a mess up based on the response when they realized something had gone out on uh, on video, let's just say. Um, and things like that, it just seemed like a quick turn. Like nothing, I guess that's really what it was, especially the ending that you referred to. Normally, in a movie like this, when you had characters that have been, you know, put down and not able to to uh, you know really rise up against their oppressors and then in the end they come back and they just whoop butt i love it i freaking get into that this was not earned like i thought that the way this movie ended it was like okay wait, wait hold on and i there's almost no way i can say what i'm about to say josh without you adding a bunch of beeps, so i'm sorry for the spoilers <laughs> but at that point Did they physically do any of the things they did? It doesn't make any sense. It, it's like they go from being their ants, Joel. Oh, that, yeah. Don't start about the ants. <laughs> but you know, like, I mean, here's the thing: I would have been totally cool with this being the Me Too equivalent to Get Out. But I feel like it really wasn't. Like it, it was trying to be. But it I think it gets pretty close. I think they, I think they hamstrung themselves. I'm like, again, yeah, like it, Get Out is the great example because Jordan Peele worked on that screenplay for three years. Sophia Takal worked on the screenplay for one month. And I really just think that sucks. Like, I think it's a mistake to think because they did it so effortlessly, seemingly effortlessly before that's something that they can repeat over and over and over again. I think you need to, and I think this was the right director for it. I think she's good, but to give her such a tight budget, such a tight shooting schedule, I think it's a Hollywood problem that this movie is facing. But I honestly, like, I think if we look at what's there, I really liked where they were going with this. I think the messaging works. I don't look at it as like virtue signaling. I think that's who these characters are and they're acting the way these types of characters act. And that's just real life. Like I, and I think that's fascinating to me, you know, and I, because we don't people, I've also been hearing all this stuff like, Oh, they have to shove this into every movie now. Well, what every movie they do a weak sauce job of trying to make the star Wars movies and the Marvel movies, feminist films, but they're really very barely feminist films in any way. It's just, it's so difficult for me to talk about this because there are just these certain words and certain topics mm -hmm. that we can't talk about reasonably with one another. And it's really disheartening to me. Like it's, 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 it's a really frustrating feeling to, to want to have a reasoned conversation with someone sure. about a film like this, but, but you can't because sides have to be taken. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's just a frustrating feeling. And I and I there are words and feminist is one of those words. People are so far removed from the meaning of what that's all about, at least in the wave that we're currently in. It's just equality. Like who is really against equality? I would hope not many people. But if you say the word feminism, all of a sudden everyone's triggered everyone's insecure like you talked about being a white man watching get out and not being threatened by that like i'm a man watching black christmas i wasn't threatened by it at all like who are the guys who were like the killers are all men well yeah 
First of all, 90% of people in all movies are men. So the chances are good. And in real life, 90 plus percent of probably serial killers are men and white men specifically. But it's a really insecure reaction to a film. I, I do not disagree with that, but I will say I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second here because I'm you want to have that reasonable conversation. I am going to simply say I agree with you and I had no problem with that aspect being in fact, what I would have loved to have seen. I know we could do the Monday morning quarterback thing. And to, her, to your point. I actually loved the look and the feel of this movie, like the way it was directed up until that twist and all that stuff that happens, the look and the feel of it. And that's why I made that comment earlier. It to me was way closer to the spirit of the original Mm -hmm. that that aesthetic, you know, the aesthetic. I loved how real all the people looked. You know what I mean? Like they, there yeah. was a realness to them. And I'm sure that probably comes from her background with like Mumblecore and all that. They, there was just this quality to everybody I liked. I totally dug that. I think that what it was for me is that even again, it goes back to this. Even if I agree with something in principle, when it's so I feel like you're treating me like I'm an idiot, like as if you're spoon feeding me something. That's what I get frustrated combined with things that I don't feel like were earned. Now, had there been a whole like and to your point i mean obviously it was a whole lot of time from what you described for this story to be developed had there been something that established it so that this group of women could come together in all the ways that they do by the end of this movie i would have been totally down for that totally down for that. again I, I i give you exhibit a get out look how that movie ends look how things happen it is so satisfying it is so unbelievably satisfying yeah. Okay, yeah. but but this yeah. it, it didn't feel satisfying to me. I was like, "What the hell is happening right now?" It felt satisfying to me on a character level. It didn't on a plot level because the plot was bonkers. But the characters, I was on board with these women. I will say that one of the to me the missed opportunities in this was re, like the, because of the subplot that's affecting the Imogen Poots character. That to me, that nugget. And that concept of the nobody believes me, that's such a classic horror trope, right? The 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 person that no one believes, that no one thinks that they're telling yeah. the truth, that they're the crazy one. I think the invisible man is going to explore that, the whole like, gaslighting aspect. That mm. would have been, for me, a much more interesting take on this subject matter rather than the sort of wacky, over-the-top place that it goes. Like, I think that had they still dealing with the subject matter very much so, but in a very like, you know, dig down deeper, like don't just, and again, again, I know we could say the whole thing, like they only had so long to do it, but you know what they did it, right? They, they, they got paid and they did the job and I get that. But the fact is, is that the movie that they ended up with to me failed on that level. It never got across the very ideas that I think that they were so earnestly trying to get across like what's an example of what that they didn't get across well, like what the, you're saying yeah like what's an example of a thing they wanted to get across that they didn't get across? well i think that the the whole aspect of the main character and again i've got to be careful here because i'm trying not to spoil it the things that she's dealt with and how they play out because and this goes back to your plot argument right an argument could be made within the context of the plot of this movie that certain characters did certain things because of something that happened to them <laughs> you know what i mean it's like wait huh so it almost lets them off the hook in a way yes i agree with that see what i'm saying so I, i'm saying no matter who i, I start, think that's a genre problem almost you know but i'm saying that if you i think specifically of a scene i don't feel like this is giving anything major way imogen boots character goes to talk to a guard about the situation and she's got texts on her phone 
and he's very dismissive. And the look on her face, the the anger mixed with the the frustration, like you could that moment. That was the moment where. You know, I felt that sense of like, oh my God, like, you know, how often do women say, like, yo, I'm trying to explain what happened and I'm being dismissed. I'm being told that, oh, what, right. what I felt is what I felt. So that was the kind of stuff that I was thinking about. Like, I wasn't thinking about it for the sense of, oh, how dare they talk bad about guys? What's next? White guys? You know, I wasn't thinking like that, but I was thinking yeah. the one that, like, you didn't dig deep enough. There was nothing there that I thought it was all very surface when it came to that kind of stuff. And whereas, again, I, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but Get Out did dig deeper to me. It did dig, yeah. dig deeper. And I didn't like the turn in Get Out as much either. I would say that movie had like kind of like a sci-fi turn to it. And I was kind of bummed out by that in that movie as well. By comparison, though, dude. But it still works better. <laughs> yeah. Because that plays like a Twilight Zone episode, right? That's yeah. more like a Twilight Zone episode. Whereas this... This one could have been if they had set that up. Yeah. But it was set up as a real world movie. That's the problem. Again, I think it's a, it's a genre problem. They don't set up that they're dealing with like a Stepford Wives kind of situation at any point. It just feels like regular folks. Sure. And, and, and then all of a sudden there's a turn. And please correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's set up that a certain character is the reason why the I'll call it the MacGuffin ended up in the place it ended up in because of their activism. So in a sense, right. isn't the That's message kind of funny. isn't the message <laughs> almost like, oh, <laughs> had you not been so, you know, <laughs> you you get where I'm going? Like that's that's the kind of stuff as I was looking yeah. at this movie going, uh, is that the message you wanted to send? I don't think that's the message you wanted to send. See what I mean? That's that was yeah. where my problem my my nut of my problem with this movie was. I mean, that's but again, like that's good irony. That's maybe not convenient for the message, but it's interesting, right? Like sure. that's the kind of thing I'm okay with because if it was in- it intended, sure, <laughs> but I don't think it was intended. <laughs> okay. I just don't. I don't think it was intended. The whole okay, it's so hard talking around plot spoilers in a movie like this, but yeah, it just it wasn't set up well enough that when the turn happened, it felt like it was out of nowhere, and then I think all of the political social stuff on top of that just felt like the worst version of clubbing over the head with it, which I, up until that point, I didn't think it did. Like, I understand that it would be annoying to people who were not on board with that message, but for me as someone who was, it was fun. Like it was, you know, and that's the opposite of something like crash where even who's someone who's on board with it, I'm like, Oh, geez. Like yeah. but for this, I was laughing every time they would say, did you just not all men me? Like that is hilarious. Like, I, I mean, I thought all that stuff was so funny. Um, there's a moment where <laughs> He says, I like beer. And he's like crying. <laughs> I was laughing I, my I, head off. It's funny because none, none of that stuff bothered me either. I mean, if I'm being frank, I mean, I actually, it's really messed up because you got this woman because there was somebody behind me, actually much younger than me, a guy with his girlfriend. And uh, I could hear under his breath, like, just like, oh, what the, oh, God, what? I go throughout the a big chunk of this movie. And I remember yeah. thinking, dude, you know, it's a movie, man. Just chill. <laughs> you know, but he was getting irritated and and you have no idea people are bloodthirsty for this film they hate it so much i've noticed that the the general attitude with this movie in particular seems to be people males let me be very specific about that that feel like it is painting all males all males not just ones in this like all males with a with a brush who is so insecure that that matters well people (laughs) people are yeah i never feel threatened when say men are trash 
because I know it's not me. Yeah. A lot of guys do do all those horrible things. Like if you read the YouTube comments on this trailer, you could say, oh, these male characters are ridiculous, over the top. No p- real people are like that. Take the YouTube comments. They're the same as the dialogue in the film, dude. Yeah. Like there are people saying just as wretched and vile things all over the internet about this oh, movie. Sure. Oh, no doubt. That these characters are saying like, oh, it's so unrealistic. Why can if you just made him a real person, we could have identified with no like that's how people are talking about the movie now yeah i feel like the, you know there's, there's there's you know but as as one who has definitely railed against his fair share of uh, movies the mist um <laughs> i think <laughs> i think that we have to kind of keep things in perspective you know i yeah, at the end of the day it's a movie dave D- not to throw you under the bus dave but, but you've been yeah you've been uh you've been sitting by the sidelines going i'm gonna let these two goombas uh run off at the mouth <laughs> no no i've been i've been listening and i it's been it's fascinating to hear uh to hear you guys uh takes on the film i mean like i said i saw the 1974 and the 2006 prior to this uh, i was in a theater completely by myself i was the only one who saw this film that day in the theater at that time it didn't bother me. Now, I, 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 you, you pick up early on that this is not a going to be a remake of Black Christmas, despite the title. And that didn't bother me at all, because having seen what they did with a remake of Black Christmas, I was like, fine, let's see what they can do with, uh, with this movie. It didn't bother me that it wasn't going to follow that same storyline. Yes, there was definitely, it felt like hitting over the head with the message early on. But... That's not even what really bothered me. Honestly, I absolutely loved that dance number and where that went. I thought that was a great scene. I really did. And it was like a middle finger to the person who had had done this. And it was just these characters sort of getting everything out there. I loved that dance. As a matter of fact, when I think of this movie, I think of that dance number because... I did not see the trailer and you said, Oh, if you see the trailer, it gives something away and it ruins a surprise. I was not surprised by certain aspects (laughs) of this movie. Okay. I, I knew who the villains were going to be. I knew what was going to occur very early in the movie. I did not know that ridiculous, (laughs) let's just say founder twist. I, that, that, and that was just nonsensical. Yeah. I didn't know that. But when you look at some of the horror elements, and this is a horror movie, was anyone surprised by what happened during the Christmas lights scene? I'll just call that, that it was that. the scene. That was this one scene that I got a jump scare that it actually freaked me out. Yeah. Really, yeah. I knew it was happen. I knew it was going to happen. I didn't. I knew jump. something was going to happen, but they went full strangers to pray at night. Well, I was going to say, right. are we referring to the scene where there was a cat involved? They were looking. Well, for- no, the, no. no, this was this was um, uh, testing the lights. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yes, yes. The, 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 cat- the way it was framed to me, I was like, well, I know exactly what's going to happen when the lights, when we finally get to some lights. That's interesting. I, I did not see it coming, and it got me, and that was one of the only times I really jumped during the film, mm-hmm. but there was a great scare, which... To me, I would have called the psycho scare, but everyone else online has been referring to it as the Exorcist 3 scare. It is. It's Exorcist 3. Yep. I know which one yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah that's the one with the, the cat. Same as, it is the same as Psycho, so I would it's just similar. say. It's very similar. I yeah. will take that away from Exorcist 3 right now. <laughs> <laughs> Got it from Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and I do like the movies, too, where the, where the characters are empowered and come together. At the end. I really do. And I, I tend to agree with you, Joel, that I don't feel it was as earned this time. 
as it is in other films. But seeing the response to the film and, and the, the the hatred towards it, and you know, feeling that the message was heavy-handed at the beginning. I think when you look at the reactions to the movie, it proves that it's more relevant now than, yeah. than I was even thinking it would be as I was watching the film. Yeah, no, that's valid. That's valid. This is a message that, yeah, it is a hot button. And it, it, I'm with you, Josh. I was not feeling threatened by the movie at all. Right. Um, and it's very interesting. The reactions to it are now, hey, you know what? They know what's going on. They have their finger on the pulse. And uh, it, it really is relevant when you look at how we we're talking about, you know, the whole Roe v. Wade a year after that with the original Black Christmas. Yeah, this is what's going on. I mean, and, and not just Kavanaugh. You look at what's going on in Hollywood with people, um, you know, who are supposedly on the left. You know, if you're going to look at politics, people who yeah. are on the left and what they did. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein, yeah. the scum of the earth today in the news as we record this coming out and saying, uh, you know, I've been forgotten. I really deserve to be remembered as someone who is a champion of women in cinema. Mm. It's like, nope, you blew it, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're yeah, done. It, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that this movie has such hatred uh, aimed at it, it really proves it's topical and that this point. is a message. This is a valid message. That's a valid point, Dave. That's actually a really valid point that for it to hit the nerve, that's how you know you're onto something, right? When something hits a nerve to that degree. Yeah. Right. And my other feeling is that, again, like I know that this annoys people, this argument when it comes to film, because everyone wants to feel like anybody should be able to walk into a movie and critically analyze it and enjoy it. But, you know, I noticed this recently with the Mr. Rogers movie. There was a lot of talk by all of the actors in the movie that when they would go back to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, they would go, Man, this is dry. This is this is a rough watch. I don't remember this being this bad. And then they would watch it with their kids or grandkids, and those people were transfixed because that's who the show was made for. And when I think, when I imagine a young female horror fan going to this movie, they're going to think this kicks ass. They're going to think this is like the best movie of the year. This is going to be their favorite film. And this is the kind of film that's going to get them into horror and get them to go back and find the original Black Christmas and start searching out movies because of a film like this. It's a damn shame, though, that I don't even know that Blumhouse got behind. This was not screened for critics. There were no reviews on Rotten Tomatoes the day before this movie came out. None. When a studio is not going to screen it for critics, they're like... I don't think the advanced word of mouth is going to help this movie. But yet, when you looked at it two days later, it was 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Usually, when you get a movie that's not released for critics and you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it's 8%, 10%, something along that lines. This was 45%. So did the studio, and and, uh, I'm not going to point fingers here, but... Who was it who said, nah, it's not a good idea to let, get advanced word of mouth out about this one, even though it's PG-13. And this is one that you, you're like you're saying, Josh, young girls would go and they would absolutely love this movie. I can yeah. see that and I can understand it. Why not give it to them? Why not promote it for them? They decided that they, they, the people behind this movie, or at least the, the money people behind this movie decided, no, let's not do that with this yeah. film. And it really should have, I think, should have been done because when I saw that 45%, I'm like, wow, you know what? For a movie that, that because uh, let's be honest, a lot of times critics are pissed if they're not given an advanced screening and they're going to they're gonna be a little harder on a film, I think, anyway. And I, I'm not all critics. 
it can't lump them all together. But I think that there's a little bit of an ego, like you're not going to show me your movie. Well, I'm not going to give you, you know, I'm not going to give you any, uh, any positive press or whatever. Yeah. Although this I will movie- say the tide has been changing like in the last day or two, mm-hmm. the, the defenders of the film have come out of the woodwork because I think this movie was a film that from the trailer, the people who wanted to keep the message of the film down have just been on top of it. They've been working hard on the internet, just put it, you mm-hmm. know, and just trashing this movie. And then there have been in the last day or two, some super thoughtful reviews over the last couple of days of this movie. And I found them really interesting. I also, this is more just um, kind of word of mouth, but the director has been retweeting a lot of tweets just from regular folks who've seen the film. And I found them really Interesting to look at these as compared to kind of the hate stuff that's coming out around the film. This mm-hmm. one says, as a rape survivor, I can't even begin to describe how Black Christmas is the horror movie I've needed. It is a must-see. Thank you. Uh, this person says, after watching Black Christmas, me, do you feel powerful? My 12-year-old niece, I am powerful. And just like, it's like, that's who the movie's for. Mm-hmm. Those right. folks. That's right. Fair. You know? no, that's fair. And it's working for those people. I just I wish think. it had had, I wish, the, I wish those folks had gotten a better story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. And, I, and I agree. I don't, I'm not letting the movie off the hook. I just, I, I re- just remember that moment of feeling, Oh, like that's kind of a sigh of relief. This isn't going to be a big hot button movie. Like I was afraid it was they, in my opinion. Now I know you guys don't totally agree with me. You thought it was hitting over the head, but at least for me, I was like, they actually handled the politics. Okay. It was the genre stuff that really just messed it up bad. I thought it was hitting over the head. I thought it was really heavy handed. But looking at the reactions, you know what? It was on point. I I, I think it was more on point than I was realizing at the time. And again, no threat. I didn't feel threatened either. There was nothing about it that that had me thinking, wow, you know, this is this is really against me. This is against men. It's against, you know. Uh, yeah, that's really it, smart, Dave. Honestly, that's my favorite take. And it reminds me of kind of what I was thinking reading the YouTube comments. It's like, for all these people who are saying this is unrealistic, take your comment and put it in the movie. And it's like the same dialogue. Yeah, right. You know, and, and I and I really relate to what you're saying. I'm going to just um, throw this out, Josh, as a p- real possibility that the kind of folks that would leave a comment like that to begin with might lack the... Uh, I don't know, introspection or self-awareness <laughs> to realize there, the irony of what they're doing. <laughs> There's so many horrific things. This is one that their co-writer retweeted. This is a young boy tweeting at her. He said, you encouraged me to root for every man in a horror film to rape the female lead. Oh my God. Wow. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's, that's out there. Disgusting. Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting. Don't bother helping females. They will get you killed. Wow. It's like, you know, like that's, that's the level of reaction to the film. And it's just really nasty, man. But yeah. anyway, I, it, is it a, a hyper-political movie? Absolutely. If you are an anti-feminist, are you going to be annoyed by it? Probably. <laughs> I would just say, let's re-examine that. I would have had less of an issue with the quote-unquote heavy-handedness of the politics, especially at the beginning, had the movie done something with it i would disagree that it doesn't do anything with it i think it does everything with it and that was the problem <laughs> you know i'm not saying it didn't ring true i'm not saying it seemed false it just seemed you know like i i meant they weren't real characters i thought actually i thought the performances were excellent i really did it was just yeah. like okay we get it 
you know, now let's see yeah. where else you're going to go. Okay, we, we set that up. Now tell me a story. It's gotten <laughs> to the genre elements is where it, it failed. And unfortunately, yeah. that is the case. And, and unfortunately, that will be the... I'm not going to say the legacy of this movie because I think it's grown to something much bigger when you're looking at the reactions online and and um, you know w- when it comes to the politics of it uh, or the or the social message, but when it comes right down to it as a horror movie and when you're looking at it as such, it just doesn't get the job done. Yet this comes towards the end of setting that up. I loved that dance number. I really, really did love that scene with the dance number. The only reason I didn't, I liked it in principle. What I did, I think it was the placement. Again, back to Earned. There wasn't that emotional reaction of like, yeah, stick it to him because of when it happened. It was just, that was the whole thing with that whole movie. It's like uh, the way things transpire, nothing ever felt really earned emotionally for me. Okay. I disagree with that. I thought it was highly emotional for me. Like I really was feeling for these women. I was really rooting for them from the beginning because knowing what she had been through, there was a moment where someone who has survived an attempted rape has an opportunity to help someone else who might soon be going through a similar thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, close to tears yeah that was that that was a great moment that was a great moment i don't don't disagree like that's intense and that is it's and i feel like imogen poots brought it so hard she knows she was my can i be honest she was my favorite thing about the whole movie other than the look and the feel of it she was hands down my favorite thing about the movie she i thought she was great and there's a scene later there's a um in the house where there's a stalking uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because it gets you know a little bit spoilerific um where there's uh characters are sort of running for their lives and, and, and hiding and, and there's a, a stalking going on. The look of those scenes was amazing. I thought it was awesome, you know, because it gives you a Christmas. It does. It did sort of bring Christmas in it to it a little bit. And yet the darkness that was there, but it still just didn't quite, it didn't quite work because I really was not surprised by anything except for the one twist regarding the founder that I was just sort of rolling my eyes at saying, come on, that didn't even really even need to be there. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the part. I was like, okay, and maybe in a different movie, <laughs> this would work, right. but not this movie. All right, so I, I feel like, you know, we didn't really have much to say. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> about Black Christmas for 2019. Uh, but I believe we should share our ratings and recommendations and uh, see where we all fall down on this one. So, uh, you know what? I'll start. I'll, I will take the first hit. <laughs> so for me at the beginning, this movie actually started. Sorry, I remember actually at one point, and I don't even remember where it was. There was some point or within the first half hour or 45 minutes, somewhere in there, certainly before certain things transpire later in the movie, uh, where this movie was actually in like the seven to eight range for me. Like I was actually really digging a lot of the aspects of it because I actually, I know a lot of people accuse of being boring and that bringing me back, by the way, to my 2006 Black Christmas review, it was a lot slower and it, it wasn't... I made me appreciate some of the campy goofiness of the 06 version that this movie didn't have. But then again, I appreciated a little bit up until, again, the uh, last part of this movie. It, its tone I enjoyed uh, quite a bit. So point being is my final rating for this one is a 5.5. So I didn't like hate it, hate it. Uh, 5.5. I definitely think it would be worth a rental 
especially considering all the quote unquote controversy around it, I think that you should see it. Make your decision for yourself. I don't know. I mean, I you know what? Honestly, to your point, Josh and Dave, you made the point as well. I think if you've got a, 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 a young horror fan, you know, in, the, in that 12, 13, 14 year age range, this would be, especially a girl, this would be a great one to take them to personally. That's what I think. But again, I just feel bad that they didn't get a better story <laughs> with, with the movie that will maybe launch them into being like, oh, I love horror movies. So uh, yes, I 5.5, I definitely say rent it. Dave? You know, originally I was at a 5.5, but I think after, you know, talking about it, I'm going to go to a 6. Only because, the like me saying how, wow, they're really hitting you over the head. It was needed. I mean, if you look at the reaction to the film, it was it's relevant. So I can't really I'm I'm not going to say anything about that. But when it comes to the horror elements, as I've already discussed, I didn't see the trailer and I still wasn't all that surprised um, by most of it. I think it was well directed, well acted. (laughs) It was seemed like it was a very rushed project. And that's a shame because I think if there was some more time put into it with what they had there at the core I think it could have been a lot stronger. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I can only go by what's up there on the screen and the horror elements, even though they look good, they just didn't really work for me. But I'm still going to give it a six and I think it is, uh, it's it's worth a rental and, and, you know, check out what all the, what all the hubbub is about. And is that you giving the middle finger? <laughs> no, well, it's, 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 it's me. It's me saying that the middle finger is deserving. Yes. I would I would concur with that statement. All right, so Wolfman. Okay, there is a major plot turn in this film. I found it extremely unfulfilling, and I think it made some of the more in-your-face social commentary hard to stomach. When I was completely on board with the social commentary, I really enjoyed the beginning of the movie. I loved these characters. I cared about them. I was rooting for them. I thought they were well-written and performed. I thought this was kind of an exciting slasher. Not all of the horror scenes were working for me at the beginning of the movie, um, but there's a tremendous kill at the very beginning of the film. Mm -hmm. The lead up to it was pretty clunky, and I was like, this is not working very well. But then when the actual kill happens, it's honestly the most beautiful Christmas horror shot I've ever seen. I thought this is it like this is the image of christmas horror they nailed it and i liked a lot of the kind of the stock and slash mystery elements that were happening throughout the body of the film when it got to the end it lost me and i was disappointed um i think if you are someone who uh strong women don't make you uncomfortable the idea of feminism doesn't make you uncomfortable i think you you might enjoy seeing the beginning of this film in the, in the theater. I think if you have a, a daughter or a young person in your life who is, you're trying to kind of get into horror. I think this is a great entry for that type of person. I enjoyed it as a middle-aged man. <laughs> I think it's a decent modern PG 13 slasher um, in the, in the realm of modern PG 13 slashers, there aren't a lot of great movies that we're talking about in that category. So I think this is one of the better ones. I'm giving them 7.5. I say, uh, see in the theater under those circumstances. After that, I would say for most people, it's a rental. 
honestly. Like, I'm going to buy it because I'm curious about learning more about the behind the scenes. Now, Blumhouse has been not doing great on that front and Blu-ray selections recently. So, depending on the disc, that will probably determine whether or not I buy the film. So the director is now logging off of Twitter after opening weekend. Uh, She says, uh, going to go off Twitter for a while. Before I do, I just want to say we realized we had a chance to make a movie that would hopefully speak to people who don't always feel represented in horror. We knew it would ruffle some feathers, but we felt it important. With Blumhouse's guidance and support, we made a movie in eight months. That, I think, feels urgent and messy and ragey and hopefully resonates with people. To survivors who saw themselves in this to teenage girls who felt the thrill of a horror movie intended for them, and to the many men who watched this movie non-defensively and saw its value, thank you for supporting it. I hope more people find it and feel less alone because of it. And, you know, and I just would say it's a shame then that the movie, like, does fail on some of its other merits, you know, because you'd like to be able to defend a film like this for those reasons and say, it, it deserves to exist. Like, don't punch down on this. Don't push down these voices. But if they say, well, it's kind of a bad movie, you can say, well, yeah, I guess it kind of is a bad right. movie. <laughs> I, I would right. like to point out, I would like to point out with a budget of $5 million, classic Blumhouse, right? They they give the $5 million budget. It made 7.2 open a weekend. So if it just makes, if it ends up making double that, it'll be considered successful financially speaking. It won't be a huge hit, right. but right. it won't be a bomb either, so. But I think, but I think with a little more, with a little more behind it, it could have made more. Especially when you think this is the holiday season, and it was geared toward an audience that, I mean, how long did they keep Titanic? Did that same audience keep Titanic in the oh, theater? For sure, for right. sure. They should have sold it to them, and they didn't. I think it was the kids are going to be out of school this coming week. Like I know in our area, this next, and that'd be the interesting tell. Do a lot of kids go to this in the next week or so? Now, granted, it's going up against Star Wars, but yes, and unfortunately, I don't think a lot of theaters are going to keep it in there because seven million across however many theaters it opened in is not enough for most theaters to say let's still dedicate screen. It was in, it was on the main screen in the one, the theater that I went to. Yeah, me too. It, It it was in one of our main screens. Yeah. I was the only one sitting in that entire huge theater. Wow. Yeah, so my theater was packed when I saw it. I was in the front row. You went at night though, right? Didn't you go at nighttime? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. See, I went to the early show too. And there was maybe, there was about maybe five to 10 other people in the theater. Spread. And there were people who go to the, I mean, I've been to, I've been to movies at that same time where there's like 15, 20 people in the theater. This is not something, this is, this appealed to, this was a teenage, you know, a, sure. a, a teenage girl's film. And that would have been an audience that would have given this, uh, would have embraced this movie and would have given it, probably gobs of money. I mean, that, that, that was, that would have yeah. been, this was their film and they don't know about it. It's and that's one a shame. of the worst word of mouth campaigns. I've ever it seen is. It, absol- it absolutely is. And it's a shame because this would have gotten more teenage girls into, into horror. It really would have. I think after having some time to reflect upon our discussion and everything else, my issue with Black Christmas 2019 and, and, the, and the way they talk, and yes, obviously a lot of it is very heavy-handed, blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't that they said the things they said. Like, that's not what I found off-putting. The only piece of it at the very beginning that I found off-putting, and it was, I think, in the way they set things up was, and, I, and again, I don't have her name in front of me, so I can't remember it, but the the uh, character who is like really strong and she's the one that's obviously the most activist of all, all the sorority sisters, you know. Right. And it starts off like our first introduction to her is getting things banned. 
And it sort of like ties into that whole cancel culture mentality, which let's be honest, left or right is becoming more and more prevalent where we don't like something. So we get it gone. Now, I get the reasoning behind like, okay, she wanted that bust not be front and center because it's representative of this, you know, care guy who was a racist. I bet they say he had slaves. I mean, he was obviously a horrible person. And as it turns out from the movie, we find out how exactly horrible he was. But my my issue with that was that technically and almost like there's a missed opportunity there because that could have been examined because again and i think we talked about this earlier in that moment like by her getting that banned that essentially is what sets everything else up to happen so that's kind of fun though i don't i I don't think that that's a fun i guess i guess personally i i think the cancel culture thing to me in general i have like a just a general issue with like i don't like so you think you think asking for like a problematic thing like that to be removed from a campus is cancel culture no i think then what here's the problem and uh, let me and and i'll and i'll get the whole thought out because it's not that she wanted that professor removed for the reason she wanted removed it's that she has they they set her up like she's already trying to get this guy kicked out of a job without us knowing anything about him now I, I saw the trailer, so I knew exactly what a horrible guy he was. <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? So, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's as far as the emotional feeling of the audience, I feel like if you're going to have a character taking that stance against somebody, give me something other than she's got like a personal beef with the guy. You know what well, I mean? Well, here's, here's my question for you. Do you think the audience is supposed to like her? I thought so. I think we are supposed to generally like our group of women, but I think she is the, she is, as you said, she's the more extreme than any of the other girls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even our main character tells her, you know, you're taking this too far. Yes. You know, she, I, I think, I think if there's one character we're supposed to identify them with the most, it's Riley. Yeah. Imogen, and I yeah, don't think, Poots. And, and yeah, Imogen Poots character. And I don't think Riley thinks that Chris is handling things the right way. Yeah. That would be my take. And, and, and I mean, that's I, fair. And we eventually get, but I think, you know, it, it was weird because I think by having it, it was, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I don't know if it was the writing or, or what the way it was set up. I just found that off-putting. Now, eventually I was able to push it to the side. Like I said, there were a couple points in this movie for me where it was eking up into like the 7.58 range, even a couple times. And then we have the twist and I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, right. but, but ultimately so it wasn't that I had a problem with her okay, what being about this. Yeah. Good. What about this? Yes. If <clears throat> I can understand not liking cancel culture, mm-hmm. but would you agree that cancel culture is a major part of society that we live in right now? Absolutely. So are you against seeing it portrayed not at even all. though it's realistic? Not at, all. not at all. But I think I am. Ag- I am against it if it's portrayed in such a way that it makes me dislike somebody <laughs> and they're and they're sort of at almost flippant attitude about it. I think that's what it was like. She, there was a sort of almost <sighs> just like, I don't even know how to put it. It was just so kind of like many women. No, no, don't even. <laughs> Hey, I'll be trying, hey, look, hey, please don't, because my, my mom was like a member of now and I would get my butt kicked. I was raised around nothing but women. So that's the last thing you ever hear me say. I, I mean, look, I, I agree with you. And I think I honestly like my brother-in-law is like the most extreme liberal millennial on the planet. And I think it's a problem as and myself as a progressive. We're going to sound like old timers now, but I think the current wave of. Um, reaction from like white supremacists and like these young white men who are so angry. I think a lot of that 
comes from the left being too blunt and not giving people space to change or learn or grow or make a mistake. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to take away responsibility for other people's actions. Absolutely. But I think, but I think what it does is it creates an environment where people feel like they've been disenfranchised in some way. And just like Chris's character is an angry young black woman who is probably been disenfranchised in some way sure. her the you know the reaction to seeing her do what she's doing makes other people feel like they're losing something and then they have to fight for what they're losing you sure. know and i think that's kind of the problem in our society that i'm referring to i think everyone's kind of clawing for their you know no one wants to lose something from this this battle and i feel like if we could approach it in a way where we can all gain together. That yeah. would be such a no, more and beneficial. I, and, and honestly, I think that honestly, that what you just said, <laughs> it, I feel like maybe we should just like get rid of the whole original Black Christmas twenty nineteen discussion and just use that because that was per- no, that was perfect. <laughs> I think that's exactly the point. I think the reason why I have a problem, I don't care who it's I, like going to the whole, uh, and I don't want to go down the the road of going through you know selective cases, but I think about like the James Gunn thing and that you know that was something on the yeah. right who got essentially pushed you know doing what they did with his and you know what he put out in the world the tweets he had done were tasteless jokes i would argue as if disney didn't know what they were getting with james gunn i mean it doesn't take a genius to go through his filmography and watch the things he's done and go well, right. he, he tends to be on the on the edgy side uh but yeah i'm just saying that that's the guy who did pg porn and worked for trauma yes and- exactly but i think that's the key is that what i per, it's a personal thing this is about joel thing i don't agree when anybody tries to silence anybody now I do draw a line when we're talking about harming and actual like violent, uh, you know, ugliness. I'm not talking, I'm, but I'm saying when it comes to voices and things that make you feel uncomfortable, that is called freedom of speech. <laughs> and if you don't like it, I'm, I don't know what to say. I mean, th- that's where, that's why cancel culture as a, as an idea bothers me. And to your point, I don't mind it well, depicted, but I guess what, can I just let, let, say this? I think yes. the reason why I had an issue here, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing a movie about that. But I don't want yeah. it in my Black Christmas remake. <laughs> I guess it's the best way to okay. put it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's a- I don't mind it. I, 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 because I probably don't have the strongest connection to it the way that you do. I, I was really on board for the ride. I think yeah. it doesn't become painful to me until it's so on the nose due to the twist that's just really bothersome to yeah. me. But I, those are real characters that I know, and it felt like the world we live in to me. And I understand if not everyone likes that part of our world sure. that we live in, but there's a lot of stuff I watch in horror movies that's not part of the that I like about the world we live no, in. No, that's fair. Know? No, that's a fair point. So, I mean, I, here my other thing is okay. I mean, I don't, we probably shouldn't be having a civics debate on <laughs> that's a horror good podcast. Point. Yeah. yeah, but I, but I agree with you. Yeah, you can say anything you want. There are also consequences. To Absolutely. Saying what you want. Like, so you can you can be an asshole yep but there might be a consequence to that Absolutely. and i think it's a little childish to say well i should be able to say anything i want and like go for it bro but yep. there but people might not want to work with you anymore absolutely no and i think and that's different i think that i think having the natural consequences of choices i am 100 behind i agree with you a thousand percent i'm not saying hey should anybody should be able to say what they want they're, they're unbridled that's not what i mean but i am saying that you know, people should be able to say things that are uncomfortable and challenging and everything else. And if we can't, I mean, to the point where it's it's in a weird way, like to, you know, when we're talking about Black Christmas 2019, there now seems to be this almost opposite reaction to what they were saying. You know what I mean, like there's this yeah. this blowback because the they were saying is, what they said. The status quo has gone unchallenged for so long. I think it's okay to challenge. Like, let's let's test it. If his syllabus was so bad. 
let's test it. And maybe it is, and maybe it wasn't. And like, like, I think that's a fair thing for those students to want to test. Yes. You know, if, we, if we haven't ever questioned who these guys are, whose statues are at the place we go to school. Sure. And we find out that they're horrible people by today's standards. Let's test it. Let's yes. see how the community feels about it. You know, let's, but like, I think that's okay to test those Absolutely. things. What I don't like is when you pull up someone's tweet from 15 years ago, that they've, they've changed since then. They've apologized yes. for those things there. That's not who they are. Yep. And we're trying to take their past mistakes and use it against them. We're not allowing for growth. Yes. We're not allowing for people to evolve over time. We all have all changed. And frankly, it's not a great excuse, but the world was just a different world back then. And so Mm -hmm. like what all of us thought was acceptable in 1994 is different than what all of us think is acceptable now. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of almost think the problem that I think a lot of people can run into is when, if you get too high up, on, on sort of the self-righteous crusade, no matter what it is, God help you if you ever trip and make a mistake. You know what I mean? Because it's like people, oh, for sure. it's like, the, it's like I was a Jerry Falwell or a Swagger, Jimmy Swagger, like that if you're going to be the kind of person that's going to go through life and judging others and, and being just, I'm, you know, this, this pious, sanctimonious individual, and then you do what you do and get caught. You know, and I know that's an extreme example, but I feel like that one of the reasons why those types of people, people are looking for them to trip is because there is this self-righteousness. And I feel like a lot of people. I made a documentary called Clean Flicks that dealt with this yeah. issue to some degree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think that for, that's where I, I what I feel about it is that I think that I look at a lot of people that get so just indignant. I don't get and, on, and maybe on subject matter that I agree with them in principle. It's the way they're going about it it's like we'll never have any discussion and room for growth or anything if you know we're we're going to just dig our heels in no matter what the position is and say you know no you don't agree with me therefore i I, you know you're you're evil you're (laughs) you're just this horrible human being full stop well wait a minute no let's be a little bit more nuanced being on the bottom is painful and there's some groups of people who have been on the bottom for a very long time sure. there are other groups of people who are feeling what that feels like to be on the bottom and i think if we could all just have more charity toward each other we could i don't know find a place in the middle where everyone can prosper you know I, you know what honestly you should end either the episode or the christmas Black Christmas review with that because that was such a Christmassy thing to say. <laughs> like that was a perfect Merry Christmas, Merry everyone. Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so that wraps up our Black Christmas versus coverage, and now we are going to go into our Christmas-themed horror mini reviews with a review of horror movie, a low-budget nightmare. Horror movie, A Low Budget Nightmare, is a 2019 film here in the United States. It's a documentary, and it's a making of Craig Anderson's Christmas horror film, Red Christmas. This is directed by Gary Doust, who was shooting kind of a behind-the-scenes documentary. But the output here is uh, is more than you would find on a behind-the-scenes special feature. Those are usually... Kind of those electronic press kit cleaned up. Oh, we're just a family. We all love each other. Everything's great. But they're the true stories of what goes on on a film set. And you know, I've always wanted to see a really good version of what that is. And I feel like Rob Zombie does that pretty well on his behind the scenes. But the best versions I've ever seen are Lou Pepe's films that he did with Terry Gilliam. 
lost in La Mancha and the, what is it? The hamster factor. Is that the name of the other one from 12 monkeys? It might, it but, might be it. Yeah. I, I lost, I haven't, I, I, no, I did see that one. That's a special feature on the 12 monkeys uh, DVD. Yes, I did see that one, but lost in La Mancha is brilliant. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, and this is what films are really like. And honestly, um, you know, I came in very hard on Craig Anderson's, Red Christmas. I of the three of us at the time, uh, it was not including Joel. That was when Jay was on the show. Um, I, I was several points lower than you guys, and just really, really loathed the film at the time. I just remember thinking how mean spirited it was, how exploitative it was. I said avoid at all costs was my recommendation, and my final word on the film was: if you're a Christian, you're going to need to be baptized again after watching this movie. <laughs> Oh, wow. that, should, that should have been on the DVD cover, man. That's a great, it's a pretty good quote. <laughs> it is. I, thought I would use that. Yeah. Yeah. Having really. said that, um, man, watching this documentary gave me a complete appreciation for Red Christmas. I still have those feelings I had, but I'm not angry about it. I love Craig Anderson having watched this documentary. Oh, yes. This feels like every day of my life. That's the thing that was so <laughs> cathartic about it for me is this is what my life feels like on a day-to-day basis. It was so nice to see someone else going through it. Can, I, can I say something real quick with man that I hope you will not mm-hmm. take in the wrong way? Yes, please. But from my days of you know way back yonder, like literally last part of the 20th century going into the very early part of this one, um, that was becoming my life. And so that I could relate to a lot of as well. And the only thought I I had throughout the whole thing was, thank God, this is not my life anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's definitely the worst version of your of my life when things are going the worst. But like for the last year, yeah. particularly, I felt like this every day. Like I just I got it, and I it gave me such an affection for Craig Anderson. I don't know that Red Christmas is still going to become one of my favorite Yuletide films to revisit but it i respect it like Mm -hmm. it's and and when i first started podcasting i hated giving number reviews and i hated being mean to films because i would i just know how hard it is to get anything made at all and so i have uh, you know not as much for a studio film even though i give them credit as well because they have so many resources to work with but when you're talking about independent film it's kind of a minor miracle when anything makes it to the screen and so i I just, yeah, I, I really, really love this movie. It is my favorite kind of crumbling of a feature film experience. It's up there with Lost in the Mancha. It's up there with, um, what is the one with the Boondock Saints guys? Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Over, I can't remember. Overnight? Was it Overnight? Overnight. Overnight, yeah. yeah. Overnight, yeah. And the tagline for Overnight was, there's more than one way to shoot yourself. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, this is up there for me. I don't know if you guys saw the one about the Island of Dr. Moreau remake. Yes, it was on I Netflix. Love Richard Stanley with the, oh my God, yeah. that was amazing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That was one. a good one too. Yeah. But I like this one better than that, actually. Yeah. I think this yeah. is really strong work. So I have to hand it to Gary Douse. Not only is what he's capturing just so raw and like. <laughs> and rough to watch but he uh, he puts it together nicely too it's a very nice presentation he did mm-hmm. a great job putting it all together 
you know, finding those dramatic moments and timing them well. And I, it's, uh, it's really good. So Dave, what about you? Oh yeah. I thought, I thought this was, this was great. Now I, I knew that I had been kinder to the film than Josh, but when I looked up my number review and I'm not big on, I've said before on the show, I'm not big on number reviews either, but when I looked it up, I thought my 6.5 was even a little meaner than I had anticipated because I thought I was a little nicer to it than that. Um, and after watching this documentary, I felt a little bad about my 6.5, but I'm just wondering with, with you, Joel, having not watched it, mm-hmm. uh, having not seen red Christmas, Correct. um, how you now, I mean, I'm guessing this makes you now want to see red Christmas. I actually full disclosure started watching red Christmas almost immediately after finishing the documentary. I think I told you guys wow. I was, cause okay. I really wanted to see it so bad. I watched the first 10 to 15 minutes, but then I, I things happen. Life happens. I got distracted and I almost went back to it last night, but then I thought, you know what? I'm going to give myself a little distance. I want at least a few days mm-hmm. because the problem is what you got. You got, it's not, it's a good problem, but I always feel like out of respect for Craig and and the whole team that put that movie together, I I mean no matter what I've got the bias now. I know I feel like I kind of know them a little bit because of the movie. But he's such a likable guy. It's such yeah. an incredible story. I could relate to it myself from from many moons ago. But the fact of the matter is, I want to try to be as impartial as I can. I almost feel like just out of respect for him. You guys went into that Red Christmas impartial. You didn't have that bias. And I'm going into it the opposite. So it's almost like when he made the comment in the movie, you know, when your friends see it, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, it's great, mate. But, (laughs) you know, when when a perfect stranger sees it, they're the ones who are going to, you know, really be uh, honest with you. And I think that's what he really would want. So personally, I want to, like I said, at least give myself a few days. But I will say this documentary is one of I mean, I think all three of us here were all massive fans of the behind the scenes stuff. But you made the great point, Josh. So many of them are just that. Oh, I love working with so and so. And they're just, oh, he's such a creative genius and blah, blah, blah. Okay, we know. But this is like down and dirty and real and raw. But you never like there. But at the same time, it's not like people like trying to make each other look bad. I mean, it's not gossipy. It's not ugly. It's these just seem like a bunch of really great people trying to make a movie the best they can. There's a self-deprecation and a self-awareness there. Like when uh, uh, Greg is in the car and he's having that moment and he's like, "Yo, this movie, the whole movie is going to be horrible. He goes, it's about an aborted fetus that comes back and, and murders its family over Christmas. Of course, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I mean, and like that and like this, the, the, his laugh was infectious throughout the whole thing. Right. And, yeah. and, honestly, and he was laughing. He was laughing at the moments when he should be crying. Yes. And I think it was a good response. Know? It was a good response. <laughs> but I will say the 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 scenes, too, with Jerry. And all of that and that there's a moment in particular with him that brought tears to my eyes where he is being so Mm. honest and real and vulnerable about his feelings about a certain issue. And I mean, I I thought this movie was tremendous. I absolutely loved it. I I agree 100 percent. And what's really interesting is the topic of Red Christmas. When you think about what you just said, Joel, the aborted fetus coming back to kill his family, that has a lot of very strong social and political ramifications. It does ramifications. But the potential that he's really trying to make a statement with this, it's not there. You know, you see this movie and it's just sort of an idea he came up with. I'm not saying there's none of that. Oh, sure. But I didn't get the feeling from this documentary that he was looking to do anything along those lines. That's actually what bothered me about it. Well, the first time I watched it is I just said, what is the point of view of this film? What is it trying to say? On one hand, it hates Christians. It's mocking Christians. On the other hand, it's anti-abortion. Like, what is... <laughs> 
exactly this movie all about. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, I think he, I think it was, he just had a twisted horror movie idea. He's a horror fan. He didn't care about the implications of that I don't know that that's a, plus for me to be honest but i it doesn't bother me as much now knowing him as it did watching it and wondering you know who's behind the wheel that's the thing is like the 90s indie film movement it was driven by the filmmakers and that was harvey weinstein who we all hate he who shall not be named um but the thing is, is he was brilliant in realizing look, we don't have movie stars in these movies. So we're going to make the filmmakers, the movie stars. And he would send them all out to the Q and A's and he had Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith, these guys who were really interesting people to listen to. And they sold the movies and they became the stars of their films and kind of drove the indie film movement in the nineties. And I feel like Craig Anderson would be really now he has, he has kind of a bad experience in this documentary doing a and a he feels like it went really poorly. That's unfortunate. But seeing him in the documentary, I get the feeling like he could go out and sell his movie and he's the best person to do it. Yeah. Like he should be out there hawking the film instead of D Wallace, you know, because yeah. he knows the movie and he's so likable and he endears you to the project. Yeah. I will tell, I will mm-hmm. say one last thing for myself was the, the whole element of his dad that is i could so relate to that because that would oh that, would, gosh, that was too. my dad that would if that if that my dad whenever he would be around <laughs> the other because the, the one feature i ever did make which i had obviously nobody of d wallace you know level at all but you know, just the just the actors that we had i just remember my dad would do the whole like schmoozy thing and talk he that's my dad that was that that guy's dad was my dad like that just the his behavior <laughs> and like the whole idea when he says i don't even know if what he said is 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 true like like maybe right. you know she just she was humoring him like that was totally <laughs> right, my dad. Oh right. My God. And I loved how I loved how he quoted movies all the time but never got the got quote them right. right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. It is a fantastic movie. So do we have uh ratings and recommendations? Yeah. All right. So Dave, what you got? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm give this a nine out of ten. I love movies about movies. I've said that before. And and this one, as as Josh was saying, it, it's not just a Everybody patting themselves on the back. Um, boy, what a great atmosphere here. This is what it really is like. I mean, this is Lost in La Mancha. If Lost in La Mancha actually got out there and people were able to see it at that time, you know, like right after that documentary came out, <laughs> that's this. Right. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is one that was heading towards Lost in La Mancha, but actually got pulled out of the fire. And I think that's great. And this is, yeah, it's a nine out of 10. And it's one you definitely have to uh, have to see. And I'd love it. Actually, if they came out with a Blu-ray of Red Christmas with this as a special feature, that would be awesome. Oh, that would be I don't great. know if that's going to happen because I think Red Christmas might already have a Blu-ray release. And I don't know if it's a movie that really is going to demand a second. But um, I would pick that up in a heartbeat. Well, if someone smart funds Craig's next film, then maybe down the road there'll be appetite for it. That's true. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Wolfman? Um, just objectively as a documentary, I mean, there's nothing like flashy. You know, it is it is kind of that behind the scenes documentary style. It's not a movie in that way that like The Imposter is a movie unto itself, but it is executing what it's trying to execute. I think at one of the higher levels. So I would give this one an 8.5 and I would say if it's available on Blu-ray, like Dave said, I'd buy it. Otherwise, it's a strong rental recommendation. All right. And for me, it is a nine. I absolutely loved it. I had a fantastic time. 
uh, I think all the characters were just great. I, I love how D. Wallace came across in this movie as well. I mean, just everybody. I just it was fantastic. So for me, it's a nine. Totally agree. Buy it if it's ever on Blu-ray. Uh, otherwise, rent it when it's available and uh, check it out. And it is available, right, to rent. Um, this is a four ninety nine HD rental on both YouTube and Amazon right now, probably other places as well. All right, so that's our mini review for horror movie, A Low Budget Nightmare. All right, so I Trapped the Devil is our next mini review from 2019. And the IMDb synopsis is a man descends into paranoia after trapping what he believes to be the devil in his basement. But things take a dark turn when his family unexpectedly arrives for Christmas. And it was directed by Josh Lobo and written by Josh Lobo. That may or may not be me. That, that, I, it's funny. I saw that name. I was thinking, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> is it an alias? <laughs> All right. So I trapped the devil. What'd you think, Josh? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it felt like they took twilight zones, the howling man and ran with it, you know? And so I like this version better than the twilight zone version. I think oh, if that's, heresy. if that's what it is, <laughs> um, be, just because they went further with the idea and they kind of added a few twists and turns, um, because that was kind of in my head for most of my viewing experience, it's hard to kind of take myself out of that and think what I would have thought if I hadn't felt like this was interesting. Howling man. Um, you know, in terms of its Christmassy level, it's not super Christmassy. Um, it, it starts out very Christmassy and there's the trappings of Christmas are around, but the film is really just kind of this dark, kind of gritty um almost exploitation feeling film although there's not a lot of that on screen it's it is kind of a slow burn indie for a lot of it i feel like there was like a 10 minute space in the middle that really slowed things down unnecessarily mm -hmm. and i felt like if that was missing i would have been on the the ride a little bit more i don't really understand why that that big breath is in the middle of the film, you know, for yes. the story that they're telling. Yeah. I feel very, I can, I feel very conflicted about this myself. I just want to just yeah. add to what you just said. And I think one of the mm -hmm. reasons why is I don't mind a slow burn at all. And I don't mind a movie where virtually nothing happens <laughs> other than suggested yeah. things. But this for me, I don't know for it's 82 minute or whatever it is runtime. It felt a lot longer than that to me. Yeah, there. You know, I don't mind a film where they're waiting for something because then there's tension, sure. and you're like, okay, the thing is coming. What what's coming? And there was a there was a hint that that was possibly happening, but that doesn't really pay off necessarily. You know. Yeah. And so, um, but I like I liked the basic plot of the film. I felt like, um, you know, the the plot of there's something trapped in this guy's basement. He thinks it's the devil. We get a reveal. I don't think it's a spoiler because we get a reveal pretty early on that it probably is the devil <laughs> that's in his basement, which I like that about it as well. That yes. they that they are, you know, we're fine revealing that and not you know making it a big mystery necessarily. Um, they don't toy with the audience too long as to whether or not it's in this guy's head, and so I appreciated that about the film. Um, but yeah, and I liked the performances. Okay. I think they were, they were pretty strong, uh, for the most part and it was engaging. I, I've always liked AJ Bowen and I think thought he was good here. Um, but yeah, overall it left me a little bit flat. I have to say, despite, um, I think the story 
about these brothers and what's happened to the brother who's trapped the devil. It's emotional and it's, and it's there, but it just felt a little bit stretched. Like Mm -hmm. there just wasn't enough to kind of sustain the film in my opinion. Sure. And I wonder if I missed something because, uh, I, I like the performances, too. I was a little disappointed because I saw Jocelyn Donahue's name, and I've been a fan of hers ever since uh, House of the Devil because I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, let's just say that she's not in it quite like you think she would be. <laughs> um, not in it very much. No, no. And I, I, I guess for me, you said the thing about the suspense, that the idea of you hear that voice, you know, you something's going on. I loved all of those aspects. Like every time they were in the basement, I loved all that stuff. I mean, it was creepy, yeah. but it was, it never quite hit that level of tension for me. So I, I instead was kind of, I wasn't literally watching the clock, but it kind of felt that way. Like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, right? And it, it never felt like it got to a place where I was on the edge of my seat waiting to see what was going to happen next. And the part that I feel really bad about is that I almost wonder, did I, you know, look away or, or, or turn my ear off for a second? Because did I, I never quite got what this past tragic event was. I know what happened. I got the vibe. It had something to do with some kind of accident, but is it me or were they just being very vague about the whole thing up to the point where I just didn't know what to feel because I got that there was something that happened and maybe something even related to his brother's, uh, was it his wife or his girlfriend? I don't remember which one she was, but I believe it's his wife okay. and kids. It says a family. Yeah, I'm just, I was, film. and that's what I'm saying. The, all those relational aspects of it, I just thought were a little muddled. Like I wasn't clear on what was happening and why at all times within the dynamics of the familial relationships. I could have been a little more clear. I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay at not laying everything out and letting the audience, you know, do a little bit sure. of puzzle solving. But I, I think for me, the missed opportunity was because it felt stretched out because it felt like there wasn't as much meat on the bone as there could have been. And they could have cut 10 minutes out. I would have liked more of the devil stuff in the basement because that mm-hmm. was, to me, that was very intriguing. Yes. And, and we don't really see all of the characters interact with the devil in the same way. And I feel like, there's four or five characters, four characters that have the potential to kind of have that interaction. Sure. We really only see it with one or two. And I, th- I don't know. I think it'd be cool to see how it changes with each character. You know? Yeah. That's true. That could have been fun. Yeah. I always feel like but. this was a short film that got pushed out to feature length. Like a twilight zone episode. Yeah. yeah. No, but they, they did add a lot from the howling man. Like I feel like they came up with several additional twists and turns, you know, uh, from, and I don't know that that's where they got the idea, but it is basically the exact same idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For people who are familiar with that. But yeah. Um, yeah, I liked it. I liked the voice of the man. I thought it was uh, David Harbour the whole time. Oh, yeah. I guess it. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like it's probably but, it was somebody's voice. They just manipulated it and it ended up well, sounding like him. But yeah, it was Chris Sullivan was the guy who's he's a pretty he was he's probably the most famous actor that's in the movie. I would say um, other than Jocelyn, you don't think Jocelyn Donahue? I think he's no, I think he's bigger than Jocelyn Donahue. Maybe not for horror fans, but he's definitely been in like a lot of television and okay. you know, he, he works a lot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I agree with you. I think that 72 episodes of this is us, oh, for okay. which I've never watched an episode of. So that's probably why I don't really know. him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think the stuff in the basement, the, the double stuff is 
my favorite, hands down. Uh, and there were a lot of aspects I liked about it. I didn't hate the movie by any stretch. I just don't. It's not a movie that I I can never see myself revisiting. I, I just don't see why I would. Um, I mean, I'm not upset that I saw it. I just uh, okay, yeah, it was good. It it functioned for what it was. I might watch it one more time now that I know yeah. what it is and just kind of see how I feel about it at that time. But yeah, honestly, like I I I enjoyed myself watching it. Almost all the way through. I, yeah. You know, I think if it hadn't had that big pause in the middle, I'd have liked it a lot more because I just didn't, I didn't see a justification for that in the story or the plot, you know, like yeah. there just didn't seem to make sense. Anyway, so for me, um, I would give this one a seven. I thought it was fine. And I would call it a low priority rental. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was actually a 6.5. And uh, I would say like low priority rental as well. Um, it, like I said, it's not bad. It's, it's definitely a, a very well put together, well made movie. But I almost feel like it would have been stronger had it been just a short film, which I realized obviously is a whole different thing. But I, I don't know. For me, it just it did drag quite a bit in certain points. And I am very cl- cool with the whole vagueness and certain aspects of relationships and details, but not when it creates confusion. Not when it it's like you're it's actually we've talked about that before that idea of like the you know when mystery for its own sake that that you know when you have these little aspects peppered in that, that don't really ever pay off and that one was one thing I really wanted to ask you Josh without giving it away the final payoff let's just say how did you feel about that yeah, that was my least favorite part okay me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's cute. Yeah. It's a fine idea. Again, sure. if it was a Twilight Zone episode, it would be a fun way to end it. Yeah. I think if they had ended it really strong, that could have boosted my yes. rating up a lot. Sure. Yeah. It's creepy. I would have preferred terrifying. Yes. You know? Yes. That's yes. That's a good way of putting it. Yes. All right. So that wraps up our mini review for I Trap the Devil. Let's go ahead and move into our mini review for The Night Sitter. Uh, the Night Sitter is a 2019 film. It is directed by Abiel Brun and John Rocco. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Miss Brun. Uh, this is a film that stars Elise Dufour as the main character. She is the Night Sitter. She is Night Sitting Jack Champion. Uh, who plays Kevin. And basically what happens, according to IMDb, is a con artist poses as a babysitter to steal from a wealthy occult enthusiast. One of the kids she's sitting unwittingly summons a trio of witches known as the Three Mothers. And that's what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, this young lady shows up to a house as the babysitter, and we start to realize pretty soon that, I don't know if I would call her a con artist, but she has plans to kind of rob this house, basically, while the dad's away for the evening. And the dad is this very goofy, very rich guy who is obsessed with the occult and has a sizzle reel, and he's trying to pitch his own reality show where he uncovers occult mysteries essentially and his uh fiance brings her son over and so it leaves the night sitter with these two young boys and the parents go out for the evening and very soon thereafter the boys get into the dad's office find this old witch's book and bleed on it and summon the three mothers and so what unfolds after that is the night sitter and her friends who have come to help her rob the house as well as the dweeby next door neighbor who knows 
a lot more about the occult than the average person (laughs) are all dealing with this threat in mostly inside the house. And it's fun. Like it it starts out kind of clunky and I feel like it gets better and better as it goes. I feel, I felt like one or two of the characters were much more arch than the others. I felt like her boyfriend and the dad who's hired her to, uh, to babysit are just way over the top. Like I felt like those two guys are in a totally different movie and I felt like everything else for me would have worked a lot better. Um, if they, if they were cast differently or if their performances were pulled back a little bit more because they are in a slapstick goofball comedy and everyone else is in basically uh, like a mostly horror comedic horror film. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. You know, it's, it's very low budget and sometimes that really bothers you. There's, they do a good job about bringing in the Christmas aspect into it and having Christmas lights and all the shots. And it feels very Christmassy for a lot of the film, but I think they go a little bit overboard where every single light in the film is like a red or a green light. And it's just, it's a fun stylistic choice, but it's not, uh, it doesn't ever feel realistic, you know? And I think that pulled me out of the movie at least. Anyway, I don't know if everyone would pick up on that, but there's a lot of lighting that isn't motivated and it's just like this bright green light or a bright red light. And that kind of pulled me out of the film a little bit. Um, if you can get past the low budget aesthetic, I enjoyed it. I really liked the main actress, at least do four. I don't know if I've seen her in anything else, but she was awesome. Uh, she, oh, she's in Siren, and she's Frankie on The Walking Dead. Which I was going to say, I've watched every episode of The Walking Dead. I don't even remember her character. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> no offense to her, she, I just don't remember the character. Yeah, she was on seven episodes of The Walking Dead in yeah. 2018 and 2019. Oh wow! So okay, hmm. yeah. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed her. I thought she was excellent, and then uh, some of the supporting cast was fun. Jermaine Rivers was really fun. Uh, the main little boy, he's not fantastic, but he's decent. Like, you know, he's what most he's like on the upper end of child actors. Sometimes you get those child actors like in Better Watch Out, where they are as good as any adult actor you're ever yeah, gonna see. Sure. But then you have but then you have your typical child actor, which are kind of awkward always. And I would say he's on the upper end of those type of child actors. Um none of the rest of the cast is super memorable for me. I do like Vincent, I believe is his name, who is the guy who lives next door, the kind of D and D schlub that lives in the garage sure. across the street. He is really funny, I thought, but um, yeah, overall, it's just kind of a, a mid-range movie for me. It's a good effort. I'd like to see more from these filmmakers, and you can tell, you know, they did a lot with the budget they probably had. So, okay, so I just looked her up. I I, I realize who she was now. <laughs> On Walking Dead, yeah, <laughs> wasn't a major character, but I do know, I do know who she was. I I enjoy this one. You know, I think um, we talked a lot about Satanic Panic earlier in the year. I think if you enjoyed that film, this is a f- similar type of film. I think this one is executed a little bit better than that one, but they're very similar tonally. I would say types of films. Um, this one has more horror some pretty gruesome kills although that one had gruesome kills as well so yeah i I think this is kind of a mid-range comedy horror i would give this one a 6.5 
and I would call it a rental. Hmm. All right, cool, man. So then uh, I guess that wraps up your mini review. Yeah, I would give it on a Christmassy scale. I'd probably give it like a six. Okay. I actually want to check this one out. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, and at this point in the show, we are going to quickly do some Christmas giveaways. We're going to keep this short so I can get this podcast out while it's still Christmas. So we are really quickly going to do three Christmas horror giveaways. The first one comes from our sponsors, Fright Rags. Thank you so much for sponsoring this giveaway for our listeners. We absolutely love Fright Rags. We think you should check them out. They have the coolest licensed horror merch available on the planet. Beautiful artwork that they hire all of the best working horror artists and just really fun stuff for horror collectors. They have donated a Silent Night Deadly Night t-shirt as well as a Silent Night Deadly Night activity book. Yeah, if you check out the new arrivals that they have at fright-rags.com, you're going to see some amazing Silent Night Deadly Night merchandise. They've got trading cards that you can buy in a sealed box, like the old days. Remember, you used to buy your Fleer upper deck tops, that kind of stuff. They've got single packs of these trading cards. And like I mentioned, they've got activity books, T-shirts. It's amazing. Free crayons come with your activity book. We've got one to give away. We are going to give away the activity book and the t-shirt to one lucky winner. And I am pulling this person from Twitter. Every so often on Twitter, you know, people ask these questions. Hey, you know, who's your favorite podcast? And we always appreciate it when our listeners give us their support publicly. You know, that's really the best way you can show your support is tell a friend. And so we appreciate it whenever anyone does that. And recently Darcy, the mail girl uh, from the last drive-in said, Hey, what are some of your favorite horror blogs and podcasts out there? And this person, Tom lives was the first on Twitter to say horror movie podcast. Thank you so much to Tom for representing the HMP community. We love you, and because of your support, we are going to gift you this amazing Fright Rags t-shirt, an activity book for Silent Night, Deadly Night. That's Tom Lives at this underscore is underscore Tom on Twitter. We also have an HMP t-shirt to give away, designed by Peter Strain, friend of the show. Did an amazing horror icons t-shirt with some of our favorite horror icons. And Jordan Allen, at Boiler Couple on Twitter, is offering to buy another listener a t-shirt with one of Peter's beautiful designs. So I am going to go to some of the newest Apple podcast reviews of horror movie podcast and randomly select one. This one is from Michelle Philly. Her review title is superb. She gives us five stars. Michelle says the best podcast horror movie or otherwise a constant on my playlist, thorough reviews, the hosts knowledgeable, entertaining with distinct personalities and a great rapport. Thank you so much, Michelle. Go to horrormoviepodcast.com slash store and check out the Peter Strain designed icons t-shirt. Let us know what style and size you would like, and we will ship that out to you. You can give us your preference information and mailing address by email at horrormoviecast at gmail.com. And finally, we are going to give away a book from one of our longtime listeners and a contributor to the show, Victor H. Rodriguez. He's written a book called The Sound of Fear in 12 Stories. It's an amazing book. I've purchased one myself, and he is donating one to the listeners of the show. You can also find one of our listeners and contributors, Andred the Blind, on Twitter. He has been doing little mini-reviews of each of these stories 
on Twitter. Uh, once he's completed them, worth checking out. And the book is amazing. And again, you can find it at Amazon and probably other online sellers. You can find Victor at his website, vhrodriguez.wordpress.com. We'll put links to that in the show notes over moviepodcast.com. You can also find Victor on Twitter at Dime Store Caesar. And for this giveaway, we are going to go to those who have sent in their top 10 lists for our very next show, the top 10 movies of 2019. These people submitted their lists by going to horrormoviepodcast.com and finding the form submission there. We've had 42 submissions so far. Last year, we had up to 69, so we'd like to hit that number again. You have until the end of 2019 to submit your form. So if you're cramming last-minute movies, that's cool. But do not forget to get it in before the end of 2019. If it's after, it might not make it in the show. We're just going to pick one random winner here for Victor's book, and Victor will mail that out to you directly. Contact us at horrormoviecast at gmail.com with your mailing address. And the winner from those who have submitted their 10 horror movies of 2019 is Blazing Blue Horror. So Blazing Blue, get in touch with us. Horrormoviecast at gmail.com. Let us know your mailing address, and we will have Victor ship out your copy of The Sound of Fear in 12 Stories. Again, anybody can pick up this book. We recommend you do. It is available at Amazon.com from Victor H. Rodriguez. Thank you, Victor, for sponsoring this giveaway. Thank you also again to Fright Rags and to Jordan Allen. We appreciate your support. We love our horror community. We hope you've had a great year listening to the show. We'll be back almost right away early next year with our top 10 horror movies of 2019. We cannot wait to share our list with you guys, and we hope you'll share yours as well. We hope you're having a beautiful holiday season, whatever you celebrate. I could not be more thankful. We'll see you all in the new year. So, that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow Wolfman on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters, a Universal Monsters Cast podcast. You can follow Gods and Monsters at Monsters Cast on Twitter. And be sure to read Dr. Shock's written reviews over at DVDinfatuation.com. You can follow Doc on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. Doc also appears on the Land of the Creeps podcast. And be sure to check out my other show, Retro Movie Geek, at RetroMovieGeek.com, where we're talking about movies that are 20 years old or older. You can follow Retro Movie Geek on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek, and you can check out some of my older stuff over at ForgottenFlix.com. And, of course, don't forget that this episode brought to you by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. We love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, be sure to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 a month. Be sure to check it out at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network. 
We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. The two little evil elves in my workshop, one of whom wants to be a dentist. This is, I think, our seventh annual, if I'm not mistaken, Christmas episode. I mean, our first episode, as we've talked about several times back in 2013, it wasn't actually a Christmas episode because it was around Christmas time. We ended up talking about several Christmas movies and and some snowy set films. We talked about Silent Night, Deadly Night, 1984, Black Christmas, 1974, the classics. Mm -hmm. And then we also talked about Dead Snow. And Devil's Pass were kind of thrown in there as well. But, you know, that was only on episode five. Yes, number yeah. five. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, just speaking for myself, I mean, we'd all done some podcasting before, but I was definitely not in my groove for covering horror films. So I'm hoping that this will still be really an exciting evening tonight, um, even if you've heard episode five i would recommend going back and checking out some of our horror episodes we've had some fun ones i know episode 37 that was our 2014 edition was one of my very favorites we covered christmas evil uh we covered p2 scent from the netherlands gremlins one of my all-time favorite films uh wind chill and the last winter that was a great edition our 2015 edition was fun it was all focused around krampus so we did three krampus related movies uh the 2015 film entitled krampus we also did a christmas horror story and rare exports that was a fun year yeah Uh, 2016 we did frozen not uh the disney film (laughs) (laughs) Uh, although you know we i'm open to it if we want to go into the unknown, but um, no, we did uh, Adam Green's Frozen. We also did some killer Santa movies and some Santa killer movies. So we did Good Tidings, Don't Open Till Christmas, and ATM, Santa's Slay, and a few others. That was a, that was a really fun movie. I mean, that was a really fun episode. Um, and then 2017, that was when we covered better watch out the Chris Peckover film and mm-hmm. Chris Peckover was our guest on that episode. Yes. So that was a lot of fun. Yes. We also recovered um, once upon a time at Christmas and red Christmas, a film, which I'll be talking about in part a little bit later in the episode. And then last year we did all the creatures were stirring an anime apocalypse. Um, we also had, an interview with the creators of all the creatures were stirring Rebecca McKendry from the shockwaves podcast and Fangoria and everything. And then her husband, David Ian McKendry. So that was a really fun episode as well. And that one, we ended up doing a whole slew of bad Christmas movies. We did sick for toys, elves, sleigh bells, Christmas presents, Mrs. Claus, Yule bloat. I actually liked Yule bloat. I'd like to revisit that one again and dead by Christmas. So, um, 
Yeah. You know, I, I had forgotten about two or three of those movies. I think I joined in those reviews, but when you just yeah. mentioned the titles, I completely forgot about um, <laughs> Mrs. Claus. And I, th- I saw <laughs> Mrs. Claus. Yeah, it was you. That was your review, Dave. That was my review. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's already had, didn't leave a big impression then. No. So can I ask a question um, for next year? Yes. Are we going to do the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise review? <laughs> Shockingly, we still have enough new okay. Christmas horror movies that oh. we don't need to. Yeah, we, need, no, we keep, don't need to do that yet. Okay, not quite yet. They keep coming every year. But I mean, we have done Silent Night, Deadly Night again on our first year. And then we did Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 as a collector's crypt last year because our good friend Justin Beam had just produced the Blu-ray for shout factory scream factory so i will go to the matt daryl if you're listening die hard is the greatest christmas movie ever made period (laughs) (laughs) he loves to bait me and he loves to give me crap but it is right and lethal weapon is a christmas movie whether you like it or not it is (laughs) okay take place at christmas they they have christmas trees they they fight with christmas lights around it's a christmas movie That's when I get the most excited about it. I wanted to one day we'll do an episode where we go and talk to all the directors of these Christmas horror films and find out what their favorite Christmas horror films were. I was talking to John McPhail, the director of End of the Apocalypse, uh, when he recorded that bumper for a zombie comedy episode. And I asked him, I said, Hey, what is your favorite Christmas horror film? And he said, Inside. Like wow, <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, <laughs> intense man. <laughs> so it's funny that the guy who made Anna the Apocalypse, which is a very sweet film, really prefers Inside if he's going to watch a Christmas horror. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah, that's that's intense. That's intense. I will say for me, backstory is just that. It's backstory. It should be there for the creators to pepper in things, to flesh out their world, to make it seem like there was a lot of thought put into it. But I do not need to. To me, what backstory equals is the Star Wars prequels. That's backstory. You know, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we had all these things that we were working on as things to kind of flesh out these characters that they made all the interesting movies about. And I apologize to anybody that loves the prequels. I know I'm, I'm, I'm doing that thing, but I never do that. Never apologize to anyone who likes the (laughs) prequels. Yeah, really. I, I I tend to be the kind of person who says, "Look, it just ain't for me." And it, but the prequels, they, they just for the most, other than Darth Maul and the Duel of the Fates, it just ain't for me. <laughs> okay, so uh, but I've always felt like that was my big problem with them. Besides, you know, hours and hours of Senate debate was the fact that it was. <laughs> <laughs> It was just uh, a back. It was backstory, and it never felt like the real story. Like, okay, you know, in medias race, let's get back. Let's get to the action, guys. Let's get into the middle of things. I don't need to know all that other stuff. How we got here necessarily? Just trickle it in. Just pepper it in. That's what I like. So that's why when it's explained too much, I get turned off. I'm a mystery fan, so like my favorite stuff is the explanation of how and why it was done. You know, I get really into that kind of stuff, and so it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I love mystery too. But to me, if I'm being honest, you know what I love? I love up to the point where I get the explanation, and usually I'm let down. (laughs) I'm like, oh really? (laughs) That's why? Okay. (laughs) It felt satisfying to me on a character level. It didn't on a plot level because the plot was bonkers. But the characters, I was on board with these women. Like, I wanted to see. I, in fact, I had read beforehand. This was all happening. Again, super politically charged stuff. Folks, I'm okay with you, whatever your political background is. We're all people trying to get along in the world. If we can talk to each other respectfully, I think that's good. 
Having said that, this was happening during the like Brent Kavanaugh hearings and stuff like that. And so the writers were saying they're really depressed about kind of the state of the world. Me too is another one of those words that has become a lightning rod of controversy. When what we're really talking about are some women who said, I was raped and nobody cared. And now I'm going to say something about it. Like, why is not everyone standing and applauding the Me Too movement? But it's because it's been turned into, and I'm not saying by the women involved in that, but just in the way that our society interacts with each other, it's used as a weapon from both sides, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, it's that's unfortunate because what we're actually talking about is stuff that I would hope most decent people would be on board with, you know? It's like, yeah, we don't want women to be raped, like who's against this who thinks this is a bad we don't want people to use the power of their position to take advantage of other human beings like there are people who are like no i think i think you should take advantage of other people it's just shocking to me that these are the conversations that are being had around this movie you know which, by the way, a, a key character in this movie that is probably one of the most socially active at some point, in my opinion, somewhat dismisses her feelings for, for, you know, for what she's doing. You need to be more of a fighter. Well, we, excuse me. You know, she's traumatized. You yeah. <laughs> I totally can connect from the perspective of, you know, I grew up, my mom, ardent feminist, member of now. My great grandmother was like an early, you know, the suffragettes. And she would, I, I remember a story my grandmother loved to tell where some guy sitting in front of her, and I believe it was her, either her sister or friend, was being rude and, and just untoward uh, toward them. And she took out her hairpin, she had those really long, you know, like what, eight inch hairpins, and right in that spot in the seat right between where the back and the seat connect she jammed it right into his and <laughs> and so like i i am all for i love when women open up a can of whoop ass i love it i just don't love it when it's against um let's just say hypothetically a supernatural cult <laughs> that 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 you know um uh, it seems like it comes out of nowhere. That's really my only beef. Had we had like a good 20 minute solid element where maybe they had like a montage of them preparing to go to battle, I probably would have been totally down for it. I think it was just that it sure. never got established that that was a thing. This person said, uh, I'm very, this is, this made me think of you, Joel. I very much enjoyed how the ending of Black Christmas went down as if the last 20 minutes of Suspiria happened on Riverdale or Buffy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I was going to make a Buffy reference. I was totally going to say that ending, had they set things up differently, could have had that like buff or like the, uh, the uh, final shot from the series of Angel where you've just got this group of people. Yeah. I totally yeah, I had, I had people referencing supernatural about this film as well. So it definitely has that kind of campy TV. Yeah. Which I love all those it. things. So on, like again, yeah. on paper, I really wanted to love this movie, but well, again, the director quote tweeted that comment and said, this is actually the greatest compliment I could ever hope for. <laughs> Good. This is from the director's Twitter. She said, I learned a lot about PG-13 through this process, and I'm happy to share what I learned. You are not allowed to say the word dick if there is a sexual connotation. If you have strong sexual assault themes like ours, then you can't have as much explicit violence or gore. You're not allowed to use X amount of violence and X amount of sexual content. More, uh, more of one means less of the other, apparently. And the weird thing is that they're counting talking about sexual assault as oh, sexual content you know like in the, yeah within the context wow. of horror where sex and violence is so 
ubiquitous. Yeah. We never did get the update on um, Craig Anderson's circumcision, but oh. <laughs> I presume it went well. I presume it went well. Right. He seemed more relaxed right. at the end, so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it went well. Yeah.